Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. When you walk through a storm, hold your hand up high and down. Oh, you've got to love it, don't you, ladies and gentlemen? You've got to love it. You'll never walk alone. How good was it this morning? Liverpool beating Manchester City. Ben, Ben, putting that song on is a great start to the show. Well done. How are you? Fantastic. My fantasy team could be better, though. Are we talking football when you're talking your fantasy team? Yeah. Definitely football. Definitely football. Okay, just wanted to check on that. Why? What are you missing? Oh, I Let left, me I guess you, you dropped Salah about three weeks ago, didn't you, Mo Salah? You hit the nail on the head there, buddy. You did. You did. You thought his season's done, he's passed his best, and bang. You've read me like a book. Absolutely. Hey, do you want to just turn that back up? Because I know there's a lot of people, probably including Stephen McIver, who's driving home, who want to sing this. For your dreams be Okay, let's sing it out loud, people. Wind the windows down. Turn it up, Ben. Okay, okay, okay. Yes, 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 yes. Anyway, welcome into SENZ. Mark Watson with you through to 11 o'clock tonight. We are taking your calls. 0800 150 That's 0800 150 You can text us here on the programme on 8833. Right, this hour, three very, very special guests in studio. Women's rugby, very much the focal point at the moment amongst a lot of our sporting media with the Women's Rugby World Cup on. But running alongside of that, is the equivalent of the Defence Forces Women's Rugby World Cup. It's called the International Women's Defence International Rugby Competition, but it is basically a World Cup. We've got eight countries, seven teams, because Vanuatu and Papua New Guinea have combined. They're a side, they're two island nations that are very much in their infancy when it comes to women's rugby. But the powerhouses, the United Kingdom, France, Australia, New Zealand, and the big surprise package, Fiji as well as Tonga, have all been incredibly competitive. It's been a very, very close competition. And semi-finals uh, this Wednesday being played at College Rifles in central Auckland. It will be the New Zealand Defence Force, who are known as the Defence Ferns, taking on Australia in one semi-final. And then it is France taking on, as I said, the big dark horse in Fiji. In studio, we have... One of the locks for the New Zealand Defence Force, Michelle Bro. We have the hooker and captain, Hayley Mackay. And alongside of both of them, we've got a commander in the Navy, 
Julie Fitzel. Ladies, good evening. Welcome. Thank you. Kilda. Let's kick this off. Let's kick this off. How cool is it, Hayley, that you are a member of the Defence Force and as part of being a member of the Defence Force, they support you in sport and that you can actually reach a level where you can be playing in an international competition, standing there hearing your national anthem being played? Um, it's an awesome feeling, uh, <clears throat> to be honest. Um, proud, a proud moment for us all to do it um, here. Um, for those of, that are, of us that are lucky to have their families um, here as well, which is um, a huge bonus and, and, yeah, something hugely exciting and, um, um, yeah, very privileged to be a part of it. Were you a rugby player before you got into the services? Uh, yes, um, I've played since I was in high school. Um, and when I joined a wee while ago, um, I continued to play. I played one year with Ponsonby. Um, and then after having a family, I played a bit of netball. So I've only recently in the last four years got back into it. Yeah. So yeah. So why rugby? Because I mean, it's become more and more in vogue. It's become more accepted. But there's been a lot of other sports out there. I know that as a parent, I'm not sure my little girl playing rugby. But <laughs> I must admit, no, I'm starting to change my mind in that area. So why rugby? Not over other sports. Um, for me, I like I said, it started in high school. But um, I I just wanted to give it a go because it was um, it just looked looked cool. Like it looked fun. Um, I my brother played rugby. Um, so I just kind of, I, I just thought if he can do it, I can do it. And that's kind of how I, 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 yeah, why I did it really. Um, when I started, it wasn't a th- uh, really a sport a lot of girls played. Um, was that frustrating? Um, you know, I imagine there's a lot of girls out there, let's just, and I use this with the greatest term of endearment, a lot of sort of tomboys that sort yeah. of think, hey, I want to run around. Why can't I do that? My brother's playing. Why can't I do that? Yeah, I think I had that kind of attitude with a lot of things. <laughs> um, so it was just an, a, one of the things that I, I acted upon, I guess. Um, we had a great coach at the time at my school, and, um, yeah, he, he fostered a really good uh, group of girls that, that um, it, in the years I was at school, we became very successful um, in the sport. So, yeah, it was and, awesome. And you're in that really pivotal position of hooker, uh, and you're incredibly mobile. How did you How did you end up becoming a hooker? <laughs> um, to be honest, I just wanted to play as many minutes as I could. And um, no one wait. else wanted the job. Yeah. Well, no one else wanted to be labelled a hooker, <laughs> yeah, and we probably. can't say that because that's a bit of an in-house joke, isn't it? I can say that we've um, discussed that out there. Probably. Um, so <laughs> when I did start I, at school, I actually was I played first five a lot, um, and then through club I played a lot of halfback. Back yeah. then, not many girls could pass both ways, and it was something that I, I that I found quite easy. Um, and then it was probably really to make that next step up in rugby, where I had to think about. Where's the spot for me? Um, and at the time, they said, "Do you want to give it a crack?" And I was like, "Yep." And then I happened to be not too bad at throwing the ball in, so mm. I've kind of stuck stuck with it. Mm. Um, now, Michelle, you're playing at lock and um, key, key at line out time. I've, you know, uh, it, you guys have been good at set piece and the games that have been fortunate to watch watch and commentate. Um, you're what you call a reservist. So you're sort of part-time in the Defence Forces. What made you want to get into the Defence Services or Defence Forces when you already sort of had a, perhaps a, a career path? Uh, correct. Uh, I 
sort of got uh, through my career, or oh, started my career in Civvy Street um, quite early on. And so hindsight's a beautiful thing. Got into later life and thought, man, I really wish I could have uh, joined the army. If I had a redo, I'd go back and join the army. And uh, it was suggested by a family member to join territorial forces, which I had no idea about. Um, so, yeah, sort of just thought I'll give it a nudge. And, yeah, it was probably one of the older women on our uh, basic trainings. What, yeah, but what, what was it that wanted you to become a member of the army? Discipline. Discipline. Yeah. You like discipline or you lack discipline? Um, bit of both and different, uh, depends on what area in life. But, um, yeah, just that, that grounding and that, um, so there's a lot of talk about camaraderie. Uh, that being part of the team, that's what's drawn me to rugby, first and foremost. Yeah. And so that's what's really appealing about careers in the Defence mm. Force as well, is that, um, yeah, teamwork. And whereabouts are you originally from? Oh, I've sort of got multiple homes. Uh, I was born in Palmerston North. Yep. Grew up in a small town called Taihapia. Yep. Uh, Gumboot City. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, then I thought, but I probably shouldn't because everyone's like, it's more than just throwing damn gumboots. No, no yeah, no, there's a lot of gumboots. Um, <laughs> Rug- rugby family? Um, yeah, uh, Polynesian family on my dad's side, so um, definitely something really big um, back home. Um, I grew up watching my brother play rugby for college old boys um, in primary school and early years. Um, Aaron Cruden and his dad yeah, were great involved player. there. Um, and I remember just being bored on the sideline and wanting to get on, um, and they finally gave me a go. I think I'm probably only about five or six. I can't even remember how old I was, but then I realised once I got on the field that all these boys were going to come and hit me, and so I cried and walked off the field. <laughs> um, but then I grew some courage in high school when the opportunity came up. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't a big thing in high school, uh, especially, yeah, trying to get girls involved and. And were you aware when you came into the Defence Forces that rugby was a pathway that you could sort of reach some pretty high honours and that there was the opportunity to represent your country? Uh, no. Uh, the, when this opportunity came up, um, I, I couldn't say no. I, I couldn't not be a part of it, especially the first um, to be run. Um, so this is the inaugural event and um, I had to put everything else aside and, and be involved and put my hand up because what an opportunity. Mm, no, and like I say, you've been brilliant there at Lock. Uh, we've got Commander Julie Fitzel um, from the Navy in studio. Um, Julie, being a commander, we probably should have gone with you first, so I do apologise. You know, <laughs> there is a hierarchy in the services. I do understand. Uh, look, I'm keen to know. So this is the Defence Force. So this makes up the Army, the Navy, and the Air Force. Um, how much collaboration and how much cooperation has there been between the three services over the years? Because I must admit, I was probably a little naive and sort of always felt that you guys probably operated separately and there was probably a little bit of, um, yeah, maybe, you know, a little bit of, you know, protecting each other and looking after your own rather than sort of maybe sharing things. Yeah, um, thanks for that. You don't need to salute me, Um that's absolutely fine. Um, <laughs> um, and in actual fact, one of the things that I've really loved over the last couple of weeks has been the fact that um, particularly the the uh, Defence Ferns and the um, NZDF team that is uh, assisting pulling this together is, is literally one, one force. And so... Um, you know, you mentioned Mark earlier about um, sort of 
single services as they were, you know, mm. um, Air Force, Army, Navy, mm. and um, and look, there, you know, there were. Um, well, well, I think that's still how most people still envisage it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, if we if we go back a few years, um, they were very much quite um, segregated, and yep. separated, um, in, in everything. Uh, what you see now is, you know, there's a whole lot of centralisation, there's a whole lot of integration, um, and, you know, when you go on operations, um, there's a lot of joint, what we call jointery. Joint exercises. Um, joint yep. exercises yep. together, right? So really understanding each other's environments. And, and, so. and that makes sense because we're only a small country. We never have scale, Absolutely. do we? And no. we therefore have to have a shared resource. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so I guess one of the challenges bringing this team together is bringing those uh, different people from the different services and trying to mould them, mm. trying to get them to come together as a team, knowing what's at stake, that you do have the likes of France, United Kingdom, Fiji and Australia. Yeah, that is. Um, and you're already starting to see different, you know, the different cultures, um, different behaviours, um, personalities. Uh, but I'm it, told the Navy are the most well-behaved and the politest. Oh, absolutely. Um, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um no, this this, uh, and I don't want to speak for these ladies here because they're living and breathing it um, in terms of their own um, team culture. Uh, but you can absolutely see the way that they come together, um, and you know, uh, when they're on the field, um, and I'm going to just repeat it: they are one force. Yeah. They literally play together and have each other's backs. And I'd imagine if there were any barriers that might have existed still between the three individual services that make up the defence force, this is a really good way of removing those barriers and getting rid of any potential stereotypes or perceptions. Absolutely, it's a leveller. So, um, you know, what you bring is is your skill set, um, your skill set on and off the field. Uh, and, and look, um, you know, diversity with, in, a, in a team brings strength. So... Um, so they each, each, every single one of them has, you know, has uh, a value set and a skill set that is a strength um, to bring to their yeah. team. So, so clearly there are those messages. I mean, there's clearly some great things that come out of this um, across the three services internally. Um, what's the sort of message that you're trying to get out externally? What, what you know, doing this tonight mm. is an example. Having the live streams, having Pacifica Television take this mm. up through the Pacific Islands. I mean, what 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 are, uh, I guess some of the other leveraging opportunities here, or some of the stories that you're looking to try and tell. Yeah. So what you know, fundamentally, um, f- first and foremost, this the international defence rugby competition. It is the inaugural. It sits right alongside the Rugby World Cup at the mm. moment. Well, I, I always refer to it as a Defence Force World Cup. Yep. You can string it up. That's how I see it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's it's groundbreaking, and it needs to be celebrated. Um, and if I look at if I look at some of the teams that um, that are here and, and participating, you know, they've had to shift a number of barriers, both culturally, um, from a gender perspective, yep. uh, t- in order to be able to be here. And so, you know, you see see eight countries, seven teams yeah. here, and, um, and the fact that um, they have the support now of their defence yeah. forces and their senior yeah. leaders um, to yeah. be able to to be able to get out there and, and have that platform yeah. to be able to play. Yeah, I just want to ask you that on the gender equity thing, because it, it, it has been a big issue in society for a long time, but I think you know we're breaking new ground. I think more and more people have become aware, and I think you've seen a real shift. Um, in the services, have you? We'll start with you, Haley. Have you, you know, from a gender balance point of view, is it a level playing field? Do you f- feel comfortable being a female in the defence forces? 
Um, I mean, yeah, personally, I, I always have. I I guess um, I joined a trade that was probably, at it's the t- time I joined, probably maybe a little bit female-heavy. Um, really? A particular trade it was, but... Um, but I guess, as as a whole, it's something that that the defence has been working on the whole time. Like from when I started, I, I mean, I no- noticed it, and it's something that's um, um, shown to be more important. Like every year, as, as every year, it's just getting recognised as an important thing to um, to value that. So, yeah, it's definitely something they've been working on for a while. And what about you, Michelle? Do you feel like you can hold your own with the blokes? Oh yeah, massively. Um, you talked about tomboys earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we had heaps of stories shared about you know being the only girl playing in the game of touch at lunchtime, or you know that yeah. sort of thing. So it's um, not sort of an environment where I feel uncomfortable, or have ever been made to feel uncomfortable because of my gender. Um, yeah. So my time in reservists, um, the the unit that I'm in is particularly um, male dominated, and um, they're right in there behind it. Uh, do you have um, to prove yourself though? Do you have to go in there initially and prove yourself a little bit, or um, you've, you've proved yourself for the fact that you've got through the training and you're there? Yeah, and I think how you hold yourself and um, you know you're there to work, um, and you show it through your work ethic and um, how you show up mm. uh, each training and each exercise. So, and, and, and from an administration point of view, um, Julie, is it still a work in progress, or is it just it's just natural now? It's just. Hey, we are one. Um, no, I would say it, it's still a work in progress. Yep. So, you know, um, uh, you know, if you go back a couple of decades, yep. um, the, you know, uh, always you're always going to have some challenges in a male male dominated uh, yeah, um, yeah. workforce. Right. It's and, without and, a doubt. Yeah. So, and that's the time and the history. And yeah, yeah. we're not going to go lay blame, but yeah, no, no, it's just, it's just what it is. Yeah. So now we're at a point where there's, you know, it's yeah. quite a pivot, and um, and so we have a, you know, we have a within the New Zealand Defence Force, we have a um, a, a program called Wahine Tour, which is all about um, uh, bringing in uh, initiatives uh, for more, you know, integration, um, gender integration, um, you know, awareness, uh, and so forth. And so, you know, it's it's. Heading in the right direction, and I and I guess too, Haley. Rugby's a great way too, isn't it? It's great because we all love our rugby, and here you guys are. You know, I've seen some of the contact, I've seen some of the big hits. <laughs> um, I mean, it is physical, and, and again, it's just a lovely demonstration of saying, "Hey, we do this, and we do it well as well." Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and no, I think, um, yeah, like you said, the games have proved it. Um, we get the same bruises, we get the same grazes, we get the same ruck marks, um, and we all put it out again the following week so yeah mm. Okay we'll take a break here, you're listening to SENZ, uh, we're putting the spotlight and focus on the Defence Ferns, now that is the New Zealand women's rugby team who represent the armed services in this country, there is a Defence Force World Cup being run alongside of the Women's Rugby World Cup a number of these players across all the teams are f- not that far away from playing for the Black Ferns or playing uh, for some of these other nations. In fact, we had a member of the... Didn't we have a member of the defence that's just been called into the Welsh team? Sorry, who was that? Uh, Kate Williams. Yeah, Kate Williams. So Kate played for us last Friday and then was called into the Welsh team, wasn't she? Yeah, they had an um, injury to their number yeah. seven. Yeah, yeah. And then we've just had... Um, what's her name? Miles um, 
Liam Owls just named a Targo Female Rugby Player of the Year and just picked up a Super Rugby contract. So that is the standard we are looking at. So we're just putting a spotlight on that. Um, if you've got any questions, feel free. 0800 150811. You can text us here on 8833. When we come back, we're going to talk more on the rugby side of it. We're going to talk more about the semi-final against Australia coming up. But if you've got any questions, you're out there listening, you're thinking, hey, not sure what I'm going to do in life. Maybe the defence forces is a really good starting point in terms of just at least laying those foundations for later in life. It is 20 minutes after 7. Okay, so Whitney Houston, um, there is a reason behind that because we've got our guests and studio members of the New Zealand Defence Ferns, the Defence Force Women's Rugby Team. They are running a World Cup for the Defence Services around the world alongside of the Women's Rugby World Cup. We've got Michelle Bro in studio, we've got Hayley Mackay, co-captains, and we've got the commander from the Navy, Julie Fitzel. Who wanted the Who wanted the Whitney? <laughs> Hayley did. <laughs> Mish did. <laughs> now, now, just on that. Both of them. Do you guys, like, when you wake up game day, so we kick off 11 o'clock on Wednesday morning this week, knock out a very good Australian team you're up against, and if you win that, you'll either play France or Fiji in the final week later. Um, when you wake up game day, Hayley, how long before the nerves start kicking in? At what point do you start your sort of pre-game rituals where maybe you go into your shell a little bit, you bring out your Whitney Houston, you bring out your gangster, you do whatever it gets you in that headspace? Um, sometimes it's actually the night before. Like, I can go to bed nervous sometimes. Yep. Um, though, though, honestly, with even like with this team, I, I haven't actually had a lot of nerves. Um, great group of ladies, um, great coaching. Um, the whole support network has been amazing, really. Um, I've been looking forward to this ever since I heard about it last year. So, um, yeah, I... I really just go through the motions in the mornings. I um, can you up. eat? Yeah, I do actually. Nothing, yeah, okay. nothing yep. much can stop me eating. To be honest, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's one of my things. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you what, they reckon. The, by the way, if you are thinking about going into the defence forces, the food apparently is outstanding, <laughs> and, and and you get it for nothing. Yeah, yeah. You get it for who nothing. Would, who would complain about three cooked yeah. meals a day? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Michelle, yourself, your pre-game routine. Do you get nervous or are you fairly sort of stoic or? Yeah, um, fun, funnily enough, like Hayley, I haven't been as nervous as expected um, this time around and yeah, probably attributed to the awesome culture that we've got going amongst the girls and, and um, yeah, our support, um, our coach, head coach Mark Tapsall, um, he, he's a real tactical thinker, he's a real So really nice things about him, he hasn't picked the team yet. <laughs> so really nice things about yeah. him, Michelle. How, rating, how nice is he? He's amazing, isn't oh, he? just great. You were just telling me he should be all black coach, weren't you? <laughs> Yeah, I just think he's he's fit for the spot, so um, give it to him. No, um, <laughs> no, I haven't had the nerves as much, but um, for me, yeah, just that night routine, mm. making sure I get a good sleep, um, being pretty calm, and making sure nothing changes in the morning. Mm. So I'm still getting up, going to the mess, in my meals. Do you do a lot of? And you, I mean, I know in this game here, you, you can come in some days, you can be terrible. It's, it's, it's your own perception sometimes, and sometimes you are. Sometimes if you're not as good as you think you are, never as bad as you think you are. But you know, you maybe come off the field and you don't feel like you've had your best game, or you're hanging on that one particular smoke, mistake you made, that one drop ball, or that one missed tackle. Do you spend much time visualising going through that and making any sort of mental and physical adjustments, Haley? Um, you're totally right. You, um, I'm my own worst critic, I guess. Yep. Um, those are the things that stick in your mind. Um, between myself and my husband, he um, definitely gives me um, the good feedback as well. 
while he's sitting on the couch eating donuts telling you how crap you were. One of those, is he? One of those, is he? What's his name? No, he's... Um, is he listening tonight? No, he is the number one supporter too, so... Um, but he's always um, brutally honest, so I can um, depend on his truth when it comes to those mm. sorts of things, um, which I appreciate. Yeah, my mum's there. You talk too fast. Anyway. Um, but no, we we are given tools and and showing how to process those things, um, mm. which again is a part of the mm. support that we've got here. So, um, being a little bit older, I've kind of learned how to get through those things myself. But um, like today with the seminar that we had, we were talked through some some ways to go and deal with those, um, you know, work through some images imagery and and some breathing techniques just to get past those sorts of things when when the time really matters. Yeah. You don't want them, I have a saying here, and you know, people don't like you on talkback, and I say, don't let me live rent-free inside your head, and you've got to be able to sometimes get rid of that clutter and just put it to one side and move on. You know, it's monumental in your head, but the reality is in a lot of other people's heads, well, it was a moment that's pretty quickly forgotten. Uh, what about um, what about you, Michelle, in terms of dealing with maybe adversity? Um, yeah, like Hayley, I've, I've learnt tools over the years um, to manage that. I think the great thing in this um, environment is that um, reflecting on mistakes and where you can improve is great, but there's a place and time for it if, if you make one of those um, off passes or, or do something silly on the field. It's really important just to grip it up. And it's not going to happen on Wednesday, is it? Park it. No, park it. <laughs> park it and um, look to yeah. correct it later on. Um Julie, you've talked about the culture and bringing these group of young ladies together or young women together um, to form this Defence Ferns team. And in terms of, like, like when you come into the All Blacks, you've got a 130-year legacy that you can refer to. All Black teams don't lose. You've inherited this jersey from Grant Fox and from Dan Carter. Do we have that with the Defence Ferns and... and what is there? What, what's that? Um, what's that legacy that hangs over them? That's that reminder around excellence. Um, I'd have <clears throat> I'd have to say that um, with the defence ferns, it's quite. Um, or are these say, guys the pioneers? Are they setting this yeah, tone for everyone I, I else? I was going to say forward? it's quite embryonic. Yeah. It's um, this. This is a generation here that is really going to set the platform moving forward, um, and so you know, and so all the the women, all those wahine that are coming through. Um, that are that are either watching on your live streaming games or are, are physically at the games, um, watching these these ladies, um, they're setting the platform for them, and not only them, the schoolgirls uh, that are coming through as well. So, so it's huge. The tone, the culture, the discipline, yep. and hopefully, hopefully, a history of winning, yep. or certainly winning a high percentage games, and that yeah, you know, we are here to win. Absolutely. And, and it's about not getting people to lower their standards, but for those to lift to the higher standards in the team. Mm. And not only that, I guess there's a something that I've observed of, of these women in the Defence Ferns is, is, their, um, is they can bring their whole self yeah. to the game. Um, both on and off the field. So and when I say that, I've seen a couple of the ladies with, with their young bubs there yeah. as well. And so, you know, it, it's such a shift um, in mindsets 
uh, and not only for, for players, but also for coaches and managers. All right, I'm going to take a break. I've got a question I do want to just talk when we get back regarding hierarchy within the team. It is 28 minutes away from 8 o'clock. You're listening to SENZ. Mark Watson with you, Ben Francis alongside of me. Our telephone number is 0800 150 You can text any questions you might have to 8833. We are just putting the spotlight and focus on the Defence Ferns. This is the New Zealand Defence Force, Army Navy and Air Force. They're running a Women's World Cup alongside of the Women's Rugby World Cup that's been held here in New Zealand. The men have been doing it for a long time off the back of the Men's World Cup. The, the um, forces and services around the world have had their own World Cups and this is the first time it's happening. It's starting here in New Zealand. In studio we've got Commander Julie Fitzel, we've got uh, Locke, Michelle Bro, and we've got Captain and Hooker Hayley Mackay. We'll take a break, we'll come back with more. It is 23 and a half minutes away from 8 o'clock. All you Liverpool fans, if you want to chat on the demolition of Manchester City, we can do that after 8 on 0800 150 We are putting the spotlight in focus on the Defence Ferns, the New Zealand Armed Forces Women's Rugby Team, which is taking part in a Defence Force World Cup alongside of the Women's Rugby World Cup. Incredibly high standard. Semi-finals are Wednesday from 11 o'clock. College Rifles in central Auckland. It will be the Defence Ferns up against the Might of Australia, and then it will be the Big Dark Horse. And boy, they are a big, well drilled side. It is Fiji up against the French. Uh, Tonga, well, they'll wait to see who wins the game between the United Kingdom and the combined team of Vanuatu and Papua New Guinea for that plate final. Those finals will be the 26th, Wednesday, the 20th. Is it the 25th? 25th of October, those finals again at College Rifles. Of course, you can get the live stream. In studio, we have Commander Julie Fitzel from the Navy. We've got one of the Defence Ferns locks, Michelle Bro, and Hayley Mackay, the hooker and captain. Uh, the oldest players in your team are 38. The youngest is 19. Um, the centre, who's fantastic, uh, Melania Kent, outstanding player. In training, um, do, do, does rank mean anything? And yes. So, so um, like a cadet. Oh, you know, no, like I'm just talking about rugby training purely. Oh, rugby, Do, no. Does all that stuff just get no. put to one side and, and that, you're just and a team? And if there's a bit of argy bargy or there's a bit of, hey, I don't agree with you, or no. that was a bit of a cheap shot, we're all tired, we all got a bit antsy, that stuff just put to one side? Um, that's like we mentioned earlier, um, it levels the playing field. Um, and rank is not, not even there. Like, to be honest, I don't even know what rank half of them are. It's not even a thing at all. You agree? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, the the rugby's the sole focus. Yeah, what we do in our trades or our roles. um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. we're here for rugby, and we've got to be. um, Our um, one of our teammates shared in her talk today: "Never above you, never below you, always beside you," and that's. That's a good way to put it. We're always on yeah, each other's shoulders. Sort of one team, one dream approach. Yeah. Um, Hayley, then, so, um, you know, being in your early 30s, what do you what do you think you can tell a 19-year-old? What, yeah, you know, what, what, what do you think you can add to, say, some of the, youngers and the younger players in the team, the youngest being 19? Um, well, I've not really been much of a talker, to be honest. I'm more of a doer or shower, I guess. I try and do what I can to, yeah, to, to let them, I guess, see what, um, and learn themselves, I guess, and what, what's the word? Um, demonstrate. Yeah, yeah, just demonstrate. Because, I mean, it's all very well. We see a lot of people with, 
you know, physical attributes all the same. We see it in the men's game a lot, 18, 19 year olds, boy, you know. But what they sometimes don't have, which you clearly do have, you've got a young family and stuff, is life experience. And you can't underestimate the value of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope it's like that. <laughs> um, I do as, as often as I can, I guess, um, share words, not too much, but um, when it's important, I guess, I try and um, share what I, what I know um, or what I've learned or seen over the time. Um, and and I mean I still get that from others like sometimes it's not even an age thing there's there are younger players than me that have played higher level than than me so I appreciate everyone's input I think everyone's um, advice is valuable um, yeah so and I always say um, Michelle that sometimes you you have to learn how to lose in sport before you learn how to win because you're going to lose more than you're ever going to win. I mean, you know, you can talk about a whole lot of athletes who won Olympic gold, but you never hear about the races they never won. Have you had much adversity and have you learnt from it? Oh, it's getting pretty deep. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot. Um, yeah, I've uh, been through some stuff. Yep. Um, I've sort of um, always pushed through to get to that next level. Um, I was the first kid in my family to get to senior school and high school, first one to get a career. Um, oh, well, yeah, not the first one to get a career, but, um, yeah, I sort of broke a lot of cycles coming through. So um, you've got a real appreciation of where you're massively. at and where you've gone and you believe through that, then you, you've got a really good message to share to others who've yeah. probably come through a lot of similar upbringing. I, yeah, I see a lot of myself and some of the younger ones in terms of their approach to life and, and um, I, I see... Uh, the huge potential that our young girls have, yeah. and um, yeah, it's it, awesome. And yeah, and that's the interesting thing, isn't it, Julie? I, I mean, I went through Mount Abbott Grammar School in the 1980s, and I saw a lot of kids in the third form who, yeah, let's be honest, weren't particularly nice young people, and you know, often the issues more at home rather than them themselves. But through rugby, particularly through sport, by the time they came out through the seventh form, just wonderful people. But sport gave them that mm. sense of self worth. Sport gave them that sovereignty, um, you know, and gave them that um, community. Mm. I think the word I'd use there is um, it gave them a purpose. Um, I think it also gives them structure um, and uh, and probably that support also that they haven't, haven't otherwise felt um, or had around them. And so, um, you know, and that's huge when you – you know, when you have a have a team that's either doesn't matter whether they're winning or losing, um, the strength of the team that comes together mm. is um, is where the value mm. is. Because I think sometimes as a society, and we are sort of getting off track here, but I just want to have this chat. You know, there's a lot of talk, isn't there? You see a lot of young people, young offenders, and actually, what people don't realise is that they're actually the victims up until they cross that line. Then they become the perpetrators, mm. and, and we lose sight of that. But that's mm. where sport can come in. Almost absolutely. as that surrogate. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would, um, you know, sport is when I look at sport and um, in the defence force, it's it's so aligned. Um, whether it's uh, teamwork, whether it's discipline, whether it's structure, um, the ladies were just talking earlier about the fact that they came together um, quite late for for this tournament, um, and but it didn't matter too much because, you know. 
they bring with them, mm. you know, their own sort of discipline and, and regardless of unit. And, and their own stories. And their own stories and they just like click in mm. as a team and then. Yeah, and, and just listening to Michelle here and, you know, clearly yeah, quite, quite a, um, you know, quite emotional, but it, it's interesting, isn't it? But it's important that she brings her, her life, you respect that, but through that she's got a lot to provide and give to some of these other younger players and yeah. vice versa. And they won't even realise it that they're actually role modelling. Yeah. Um, and you yeah. don't need to say a lot of words yeah. to role model. Yeah. You can role model through your actions. It is 16 minutes away from eight. You're listening to SENZ. We are putting the spotlight and focus on the def- uh, the international defence rugby competition being run alongside of the Women's Rugby World Cup. When we come back, we're going to talk about smashing the Australians on Wednesday, smashing them into smithereens. Do that next. It is 11 minutes away from 8 o'clock in studio. Commander Julie Fitzel from the New Zealand Navy. We've got Michelle Bro and Hayley Mackay, two members, playing members of the New Zealand Women's Defence Force rugby team. The Defence Force are running a World Cup alongside of the Women's Rugby World Cup. Semi-finals are on Wednesday. The finals on the 25th of October. The semi-final will be against Australia, who were beaten up really badly in their first game against the Fijians, blew everybody away, but then came back and performed brilliantly against a very good United Kingdom team. How much homework, Hayley, have you done on Australia and what resources do you have available to you to do that homework? Um, we uh, Obviously the games are streamed, so we have a member of our team, um, Tizzy, who's come on board. Um, she would have been planned, but she's injured. Um, so she's come on board and taken on that role to kind of review and and go over those videos and point out bits that um, she thinks are relevant for us to go over. So we're pretty lucky to have her as part of the team as well. Um, so, yeah, we've been watching videos. We watched parts of the games when we could, when we were at the field. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes we get a little sneak peek at their trainings. We, um, we are based in the same place. So we have. Um, so have you had a team meeting already? When do you sit down, go through the video, look at what the Aussies are doing, and you guys have done your strategy? Yeah, I we, imagine they're doing the same with you. So yeah, probably. <laughs> yep. Well, so we did. We actually did that this afternoon. Um, so we went over their video as well as our uh, recent game against Tonga. Mm. So work ons from Tonga, and then uh, moving forward, work ons for yeah. for Oz. I've just got notes from your coach here. He says Haley <laughs> dropped goal fifty meters out. Once played halfback in first five while at school. <laughs> No? We'll see what happens. See see what the score is at uh, 78 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely. I'll ask you you this, Michelle. So how much of it then is about still just sticking to your own game plan? Or do you have to... Do you have to change it slightly to cater for what they're doing, or is that just more of defensively? Um, yeah, we've um, had some pretty solid plans in place from the get-go. Um, it's just about improving on those and seeing where we need to um, tighten up on. Um, yeah, yeah, because I mean, it hasn't been a big run. And um, let's talk about that first twenty minutes against the French. They sort of hit you hard early. Was that? What, what, what was the issue there? We saw a little bit with the actual the Black Ferns in their first two games as well. Is it what you're just a bit nervous? You're a bit, I don't know, television cameras on you, or just you just, get, you just got to work on it. Yeah, we had a bit of a similar experience with some um, like um, some games beforehand. Uh, so our game in Christchurch training camp leading up to it, um, and I think yeah, just getting rid of some of the cobwebs and um, just fine tuning our playing as a team, and um, yeah, just. 
I think the big thing about our team is um, you'll like you see it in the eye contact when we're down, and you'll look at your teammate and you just see that they're ready to to get back. Mm. Um, I can't describe resilience is the only word I can describe. Is there one person that takes control, or is it just sort of collectively understood? I mean, you can't have you know too many chiefs, but I think it's um, quite collective. Like, I mean, even even the coach, he even kind of steps back at that time and, and actually leaves it up to us. I, yeah. Unless I wasn't listening. He didn't, um, <laughs> he didn't like, you know, come out and throw his toys at any time. Um, he really did list, leave it up to us to, to sort it out, and I think we just did that together. Now, Julie, I'm not sure how much aware you were if you're inside of the coaching, but I know you have played um, at a reasonably high level yourself. Half-time against... The French, you seemed to, the message came through. Do you, do you know what was, you know what was said at halftime, Julie? At all? Did, did you have any influence? No, because you, you, your scrum didn't look so good, and then it got it looks a lot better. You, you didn't seem to have parity against the French. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, we um was it we, the hooker? No, no, sorry, <laughs> definitely not the hooker. <laughs> no. Maybe the um, lock. No, we <laughs> we do have um, we don't have a lot of experience in, in our front row. Um, we have a few league players, so they're not um, as used to that, to the scrum, I guess. Yeah. Um, so it was it was something we had to uh, kind of just deal with at the time. Yeah. Um, but it was it's been a huge work on for us. Did, did it surprise you forward. that it wasn't as good as perhaps you had thought leading up to that first game? Yeah, I, I probably would have thought that would be um, we would have been a bit level, more level. It, you know, I mean, size-wise, we've all we've got it there. Mm. Um, but it's know. all about technique, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. It's all, yeah, technical. It's all exactly. about weight distribution, and that's all about yeah. balance. And uh, working together, yeah. I, I just um, want to have a, uh, a chat to you, Julie, again. Um, we saw um, Leah uh, Miles just being named Otago Female Rugby Player of the Year. She's picked up a super co- rugby contract. How was that received within the Defence Forces? Is, is that a big deal, or is that more of a... Does that frustrate you for the fact that they're going to be out playing rugby the whole time? Do you celebrate that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we <clears throat> we definitely celebrate that. It's because that's you know the, people will look at her and go, "Wow, that's that's amazing." I want to be like her. I can I can um, play rugby at a really high level um, and also have this career. Um, and so. You know, to be able to uh, to give um, these women the opportunity, and there's a number of women in, in the side uh, that are high caliber mm. that have been, you know, that have these opportunities um, outside of Defence Ferns that um, that absolutely celebrate those. Yeah, well, it was interesting. Willie Walker was there the other coach of the Auckland yep. FPC side, and he was keeping an eye on everybody as well. And it's you know, it, it's a big step, another step. Even higher on us. Hey, look, we've literally only got about thirty or forty seconds left. Just a, a final message, message that you want to get across regarding the defence forces, whether it be a career, think, whether I, it be rugby. Look, related. I think we've um, we've uh, we've spoken today about um, you know the fact that we have amazing um, amazing wahine in the in the defence force um, that put on just happen to be putting on a rugby jersey this this month um, that have fantastic careers also in the Defence Force as well, so come join us. Okay, and Michelle, you've got 10 seconds to comment to the fans, people out there? No, just awesome opportunity, stoked to be a part of it. Yeah, um, wishing all the teams um, good games for the rest of the campaign, but um, go New Zealand Defence Ferns. Favourite radio host? 
<laughs> Favourite football team, Liverpool? Of course, when you of course it's walk, you, you'll be singing that on the way home, mate. <laughs> okay, we will talk sport. Thank you to Commander Julie Fitzalt, Michelle Bro, and Hayley Mackay. Do get along on Wednesday, the College Rifles semi finals. It is one minute after eight. You are listening to SENZ. Mark Watson with you alongside of me, Ben Francis. We are taking your calls on 0800 150 811. We are playing You'll Never Walk Alone from Jerry and the Pacemakers. It is the song for Liverpool Football Club, also for Celtic Football Club. And is it Borussia Dortmund? Is it Borussia Dortmund, Ben? It's one of those German clubs have also got it, haven't they? Do they? I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, they do. But it's very much become Liverpool's. Um, what a wonderful performance from a club that is struggling, that has been struggling this season, beating the might of Manchester City 1-0 in a game which is only going to further enhance the already existing rivalry. There was plenty of niggle in it, plenty of emotion from both managers, neither happy with the referee. The Anfield crowd, well, did what only the Anfield crowd can do and that's provide that extra man. Tribalism at its finest. Something that we just lack in this country, something that just doesn't exist. And it's sad. And I'm not sure why it doesn't exist here. Perhaps we just don't have scale We just don't have a big enough country. We've got an MPC final this Saturday being played in Christchurch. Canterbury taking on Wellington. What's the capacity of, is it Orange Ferry Stadium now? I think that's the official name of it. Is it going to be a sellout? It should have sold out within about three hours of the tickets going on sale. Got a capacity of 18,000. That should be sold out, but it probably won't. And if it was held in Wellington, it definitely wouldn't have been. And if it was held in Auckland, we probably would have got about 8,000 and Eden Park would still be a cemetery with chips. Why don't we have that tribalism anymore? 0800 150 Get on the phone, tell me. I think a part of it is the host broadcaster Sky have shut down any discussion. New Zealand rugby is part of the agreement that said, we only want you saying nice things about us. Forgetting that, in fact, there's only one thing worse than being talked about, and that's been not talked about at all. But I look at that model of the English Premier League, and I just think, man, wouldn't it be great to have an MPC like that? Wouldn't it be great to have that level of tribalism across some of our sports in this country? And then I look at their model and I go, I get on BBC, I click on football, and there's about 10 different narratives. There's the story about Mo Salah, who's been out of form, finding form, scoring one of the great goals. Then you hear the story of Pep Guardiola talking about how the Liverpool fans threw coins at him. Then there's a story about Jurgen Klopp getting red carded for being too vocal and basically abusing the officials and the referee. Then there's the injury report. Then it's what it means in terms of the overall league. 
And there's about six, seven, eight different narratives that are highly engaging. And then you think Liverpool are going to play West Ham in three days' time and it's going to be all over again. And such is the standard, you're not sure of the outcome. But you know that a win is going to be dire for your team. A draw for them is going to be considered a victory and a win for them, well, it's going to be one of the great moments in the club history. But we just don't have any of that anymore. And, and rugby, since the Rugby World Cup's come along, even test matches are starting to have little meaning to them because the powers to be are so focused on the World Cup that an ex- losing now is just simply fobbed off by saying, yeah, but look, you know, we've still got 18 more tests to the World Cup, we'll get it right. How do we bring tribalism back? It's funny, I did a show on Saturday morning just for a Christchurch-based show, just for a bit of fun. Not for fun, we were just short on hosts and it's a Canterbury-based show. And so look, I did my best to bring people on from Christchurch and celebrate Canterbury sport. But just as a little bit of an an underlying joke I ran, I said, look, what would be, you know, and I asked the different panellists I had on, including Chase Orlaney and um, we had Peter Lester on the programme who was brought up in Littleton and he was talking about the GP, the yachting GP that's going to be um, sailed in Littleton Harbour in March and I'd ask all of them, you know, what is wrong with calling the new Christchurch Stadium Carlos Spencer Field? Because they're the only people in all, they're the only people in the country who actually have a sense of tribalism, who that would actually genuinely piss off, and I know I'd get a reaction. And rather than bagging the Cantabrians for being that, I actually praise them because they actually still care. They actually still hate Auckland. They actually still have what is lost, but what most English football fans retain or most English clubs retain. That is a, we love our team, we hate everyone else. Some clubs we hate even more. 0800 150 811 is the number. Uh, the other thing is, so we've got another bloody All Black who's been given a sabbatical. It's not a sabbatical. A sabbatical in Japan. This time it's Artie Savia. Now, best player in world rugby, in my opinion, being an absolute beast. But under his new agreement, he won't play the 2024 Super Rugby campaign, but he'll come back for the All Black window that year. This is part of this bargaining agreement to keep our top players in this country. Go. Not interested. Go. If you need to get paid a lot of money to go and play in Japan, to be, to stay in all black, I don't want you here. I only want people who want to play for this country, who want to play rugby in this country, who want to wear the all black jersey no matter what. If you're getting to the point where you have to negotiate time away, time overseas to wear the all-black jersey, I'm sorry, your love for the jersey has diminished. And these guys need to remind themselves what it was like being 15, 16, 17, still aspiring to wear the all-black jersey. Not good enough, New Zealand rugby. Well done to the Players Association. The tail continues to wag the dog and the only people that are benefiting rugby in this country 
are an exclusive elite group of players who talk about the greater good of the game but really only give a shit about themselves. Excuse the language. 0800 is the number. Graham, good evening. G'day, Mark. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah, no, uh, a lot of good topics there tonight. Yeah, I, I love that. I love the You'll Never Walk Alone. I had a couple of copies of that on 45, actually. I got a record I collection. I thought you were ringing up to endorse the rugby stadium down there being called Carlos Spencer Field, Graham. <laughs> We've been here before, Mark. Come on, Graham. Well, what's wrong with you? Yeah, but I know, it always mate. Ends but, the same I know, way. Graham, but I know, mate. I mean, I know. Quiet, quietly, quietly, you always wanted them in your team, didn't you? <laughs> no, no. Now I can laugh about it. I'll tell you what, 20 years ago, there's a difference. Oh, no, maybe. Yeah, but, but Graham, but my point is... The late nineties, I tell you what, when it was Mertens versus Spencer, you know, I remember those games, and you know, that and Graham, was, um, and they were sellouts yeah. too, mate. They were sellouts, and that's my point. Yeah, I know. I agree, and um, yeah, I mean, I haven't got the answer. I mean, what you've you've given the answer, really. I mean, you know, I'm going. I was at the Timmy against Player Plenty on Saturday, and that, uh, you know, I thought it was a great contest, intense, passionate, two teams. But you know, you look at the crowd. When I looked at the you know, highlight reel um, yesterday, you know, you don't realise when you're there on one side of the field how, you know, small the crowd is until you look at it on TV. But, I mean, you know, the answers, you know, the New Zealand Rugby Union domination, the All Black, you know, the amount of tests the All Blacks play and the World Cups, you know, that's the be-all and end-all. And, um, and, it, and, it, and it's trickled down to... Like I've said many times to you on this station in recent months, you know, it's, tri- it's, tri- well, it's more than trickled down. People just don't talk about, you know, just the hardcore rugby people, you know, and I know people, the support of Highlanders and that from different parts of the country here in Christchurch, and they talk about Canterbury Otago and that, but, but the actual general public do not go, oh, you know, wow, Wellington's, you know, because, well, you know, you talk about Canterbury Auckland, I mean, Canterbury Wellington. Is a very bitter rivalry, you know, um, like Wellington Auckland. Um, yeah, 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 but Graham, 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 you need to remind us why, because I don't think anyone realises that anymore. Certainly, younger generation aren't aware of the angst that once existed and the reasons for why that angst existed. I mean, you know, for a lot of young people now, Canterbury versus Wellington, and that they'll like each other. The two coaches won't say anything negative about each other. The players will come out at half time and give us a cliched answer, and they'll give us a cliched answer at the end of the eighty minutes, and then yeah, and that'll be it and that'll be it and that's all that's written yeah. and it'll be forgotten by Monday yeah right because I you know without sounding like a you know an old fogey you know, fogey I remember the days when Alan Houston played for Wellington and Robbie Deans was fullback for Canterbury and the two stations had Z3ZB and 2ZB in Wellington you know they'd put up rival songs against each other and they're all tongue and cheek and they were brilliant you know they were they were just, and it was fun, but it was also serious in the sense that we didn't like Wellington, you know. But now that wouldn't be allowed. It'd be, oh, I don't know, it'd be called hate speech. Well, or but you, 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 you remember those that famous sign, "Hot Toddy for a Cold Heart," you know, when John Hart wasn't picking Todd Blackadder, <laughs> and that little yep. the photo of that Cantabrian kid, Auckland sucks, I think, became one of them. And then you had, <laughs> you know, and, and you guys would boo Mark Carter and Grant Fox, even though we were in an all black jersey. Now I didn't agree with that, but you know what I actually do love is that you just. You just hated Auckland that much, and that that but that was the reason why the games would sell out, and that is part of the reason why English Premier League is so damn successful. Oh, you get two, you get an Arsenal. You know th- there are certain pubs that opposing fans are just not allowed into um, on the, on the way to the grounds. I mean, you get Tottenham Hotspur and Arsenal fans; they absolutely hate each other. 
Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't mind it so much if that tribalism had carried over into Super Rugby, but it hasn't. It's just, it's just, everything's just so damn vanilla anymore. No one cares about the game, Graham, other than you, and you are the exception to the rule, not the rule, mate. You are, you are the last of a golden age. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, um, well, you know, I do know other people, but yeah, you're right. There, it's a diminishing group, you know, and um, you know it was like that in Super Rugby in the initial years. But um, like you just said about the, um, you know, about the way that the games are now, you know, built up. You know, people, young people go, oh yeah, Canterbury and Auckland, you know. But I go, no, but it used to be Canterbury and Otago and Canterbury Wellington, you know, that they because they get told something by the media now that there's only one rivalry, you know, like as you said about. Tottenham and Arsenal. You know, my nephew of mine living in London was, and his partner's a Tottenham fan. You know, and they all they waved flags out when they play in Arsenal. You know, they and, and Arsenal fans are saying obviously outside their houses they display the flags. You know, and Liverpool, as you know, better than anyone, Liverpool and Everton. You know, and Liverpool. You know, that's they hate each other. And Man yeah. City and Man United. And, and, and oh, I mean, you go and get you know Celtic and Rangers. You know, oh, well, the two yeah. Scottish. I mean, it is just unbelievable, but it works. It works, you know. Oh, yeah. And and the, the the you know they're not on three hundred million dollar TV deals over six or seven. They're on billion, billion, billion dollar deals, hundred billion dollar deals. You know, we are talking yeah, huge yeah. money because of it, because of the commercial interest in the game. And it, look, it's a real shame. Hey, Graham, just quickly too. Uh, look, uh, I mean, a lot of people might say, look, Artie Severe deserves a break. He's been the one player that stood up. But my rules the same. Mate, I'm sorry. If you're going to go and take a damn sabbatical, go. If that's what you need to stay in the All Black jersey, go. Oh, I think you're right. You know, as much as I admire, you know, and I mean this uh, sincerely, we all think, you know, he's probably been the, you know, the All Black of the year by, uh, you know, by, in the top group. But he's been the best of that group in a pretty oh by know, a mile. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, I agree. I mean, but it's once again at the. Well, 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 okay. But, but they're, desperate, they're desperate to have two or three players um, on their books still and not lose them. And well, they're looking for compromise. And it is a Rugby Players Association. Yeah. That, well, Graham, um, you, but, the, but Graham, you have a look at this. So you look at this in 2024. Are the Australian teams going to be any better than what we saw this year? Probably not. There'll be the odd one that'll no. get close. We'll lose the odd game over there, but most of the time our teams are going to win. Um, we've got the Pacific Islands, which are going to take a long time, Fiji and the Pacifica team too, um, you know, to, to really sort of, you know, get to the same level as our super rugby sides. So you're thinking, yeah. well, what am I really tuning up to watch? Well, I'm going to turn up and watch the other local derby, but, boy, I've been there before, I've done this. Then you do tune up and you go, well, where's Bowden Barrett tonight? Well, he's having a day off because the All Blacks told him to because he's tired. And where's Artie, the best player in the world? I turned up to watch the best rugby player in the world. Well, no, he's in Japan because, yeah, he, he just – needed to fill the bank balance up and eat a bit of sushi because the romance of the All Black jersey is no longer there. I, I mean, and they wonder why no one's going to watch the bloody game here, mate. You, you know, there are absolute oh, morons care, running yeah. this. They're morons running this game in this country. Oh, I agree. You know, well, as you're saying, in British football, English football, where you put it, like Bowden used to play, was it, you know, people in Wellington, Hurricanes still love them. But, you know, if that was in England, they'd, you know, the... Hurricanes fans would be singing songs about them, and they wouldn't be complimentary. But you know, they'd be, mm, <laughs> you know, um, but you know, and all that type of thing. But over here, even that gets diminished. You know, it's sort of, you know, they're, they're beyond, they're above the, 
Oh, look, there's hopeless, Graham. Hey, Graham, Graham, hey, look, uh, just to keep the rivalry going, mate, I hope Wellington smash you boys on Saturday night. I hope they do a demolition on you, Graham. I hope all you Cantabrians get beaten up badly. Jump on the phone now and abuse me. Come on. And I say that tongue-in-cheek, of course, because 20 years ago, people would have jumped on the phone from Canterbury and bagged the hell out of me. But it's no longer, and that's my point. That's my point. Where is the tribalism gone? Why don't rugby realise this? Why can't they look at the crowds turning up to MPC and see that actually symbolic of the way rugby's now perceived rather than just going... Oh, yeah, but look, you know, we've still got Super Rugby, we've still got the All Blacks. No, no. One leads into the other. One's not separate from the other. I I heard this through a very, very good source, um, that apparently, apparently, and this is just an opinion, that the CEO of New Zealand, Mark Robertson, has not spoken with Ian Foster well, hadn't spoken to Ian Foster after he won the rugby championship. Such as the disconnect between the administration and the All Blacks. 18 and a half minutes after 8. 0800 150 is the number. Paolo Nutini, the Scottish singer that we keep playing on the show. You would s- swear that is John Fogarty from Credence Clearwater or... Possibly could have been Jimmy Barnes. That is how diverse this guy is. That's just outstanding, Ben. You continue to amaze me with this guy's um, vocal range. Let's get your car fixed so you can listen to him. Listen to the whole album. I know. I need to unplug the battery and reset the battery. Anyone out there want to give me a free car, by the way? I can't imagine there is, but I just thought I'd just ask anyway. You can have mine, but I don't know if it would um, no, suit up to your right, standard. Mate. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, anyway, we're taking your calls on 0800 150 Anything you want to discuss from over the weekend. Ben, it's interesting, isn't it? Where are all the crowds suddenly for the Women's Rugby World Cup? Where are they? Hmm. Where are they? That's the question I want to know. Where are they? Where are the crowds for the Women's Rugby World Cup? You know, We've had the media tell us that we all should go and watch it, like they're an arm of this government. How dare you not watch it? It's the political thing to go and do. Part of the reason I haven't watched a lot of it because I don't been, like to be told what I need to watch. I'll watch something if I think it's good. I'll watch something if it gets my curiosity up. But we saw apparently a sellout at Eden Park in the first game, which wasn't a sellout. There would have been twenty five to 30,000 for the first game for the Black Ferns, which was still a hell of a crowd, and they should just celebrate that rather than trying to sort of going down making everything political. Um, and we were told that now it's on par with the men's game and the Black Ferns, well, they've got the same importance and same significance as the All Blacks in terms of um, nationalism and how they're perceived and the weight their results carry, which is such absolute nonsense. The Black Ferns lose, the nation doesn't mourn. It doesn't. It just doesn't. They're not there yet. But we're not allowed to say that because, you know, we've got identity politics driven by the left. But I just want to know, where are the crowds turning up to watch the women's game? I thought there were crowds, my apologies. Not big crowds. Why, why aren't the Black Ferns games every single one at Eden Park and selling out? They're playing them at Waitakere, which is a capacity, if you're lucky, of 5,000 people. $10 a ticket, so it's not like $5 for kids. So, I mean, it's a bargain to get in. It's cheap as hell. 
I, I just want to know where the crowds are. I want to know where the feminists are. I want to know where the two and a half million women in this country are, Ben. And I'm not afraid to say it. I, I, and I shouldn't get into trouble as a broadcaster for saying it either. I didn't even realise there was a stadium on Waitakere. Yeah, it's a track and field stadium. Ah. Oh. oh, okay. The Graham Douglas track and field stadium. It's got one fixed stand and everything else is stand around. It's where the All Blacks often train. So why don't they play it at a normal stadium? Like I a- don't know. I would have thought if the demand was there and the black ferns, like the media have told us, like the politicians have told us, like everybody's tried to tell us and tried to manufacture the importance of it, I would have thought it would be held in a big stadium. Why isn't it? Because perhaps the interest's not there. And that's okay too. Let it grow organically. Stop politicising it. Stop trying to make it out to be bigger than it actually is. And you'll actually get a lot more buy-in from a lot more people who will find it actually a lot more enjoyable. The problem with it is you've politicised it to the point now we've all had a guts full. It's not the best hacker that's ever been performed. It's not the most spine-tingling hacker that was ever performed at Eden Park. It was good. It was great. But it's not the best ever. Over the politics, over the politics of it all. Stop it. Women's sport's great. Women's sport's brilliant in some areas. It's growing in others. Men's sport is brilliant in some areas. It's crap in others, and it's growing in others. Just play the damn game and let us decide what we want to watch. Politicising everything is actually doing the players a disservice at the moment. And it's not the players who are driving this. It's the... Left-wing ideology, this identity politics. It's not just about parody now. It's about revenge. You said tickets are $10 for adults, right, and five for kids. Yeah. That, you know, that, that's that's very, a bloody great value. It's very, very... Brilliant, very, and it's a great initiative. Well done to them. I kind of... I guess this just comes back to the, all the points you were talking a, a bit about before in terms of the tribalism and sport, because if it is $10, then... Why not go? Is it because the games are just limited to Auckland and if the games were taken around the country, would have there been a bit more of a a turnout? I think part of the reason why they kept them in one area and put two or three games on in a day, I think they knew that there's not the interest there, mate, and that it was too risky and the costs associated would be too great. But I reckon if you did take a Women's Rugby World Cup game to, say, down to Trafalgar Park in Nelson, which I think is a really beautiful boutique ground, and you put Wales Scotland down there, or you took them down to Dunedin and had Wales Scotland and where there is that Scott, I think you would have got some good crowds along. I think the novelty of a Women's Rugby World Cup would have been enough for people to go at least once. Well, I was going to say at least McLean, once. McLean Park. Yeah, but all of those little boutique grounds would have been once. I mean, even Pukekura Park in New Plymouth, I'm not sure if it's big enough for rugby and big enough for a cricket ground. But all I'm saying is there'll always be novelty in a World Cup and that'll get people along for one game. The product if it's good enough, we'll get people back more and more. My issue is not, I think the rugby's brilliant. And, and, you know, I've just spent an hour having the women's defence ferns in here. I did that because I respect the way they play the game. I like women's rugby for the fact there's not the resets and the scrum. What's ruined it for me is the politicisation of it. Everything's got a political message in it. And, and that just frustrates the hell out of me, mate. You know, it really, really does. I just, come on, guys, let's just get on with it. About, we're about a year or less than a year right now from the Women's Football World Cup with, the, I think, the draws taking place on Saturday. 
off the top of my head. Do you think? It, do you expect the crowds to be similar, or do you think they'll nah, be a they'll lot be better? Hu- they'll be huge for that because you you will get a lot of international travellers. Then here. why? I guess why is that? Then? Because football's just on a bigger scale. Football is the women's game has been established for a lot longer. It's organically growing. And look, I think Women's Rugby World Cup will continue to organically grow. Let's be honest, it's a three-horse race at the moment. You've got France, New Zealand and England, and then you've got probably Canada and then the rest are, I think, are fairly average. Um, but it'll take time, and then you will start to get greater depth. On the men's side, you know, historically we only had four. Now you can probably say there are eight teams that can potentially win the Women's Rugby World Cup. You could almost include Argentina, South Africa, Wales, Scotland, England, um, yeah, France, you know, I think you've probably five nations plus four of the southern. So you've got nine, but never used to be that way. And I think women's rugby will get there, but just let it organically get there. Don't try and – what we've tried to do is is manufacture its importance at a much higher level than it actually is. It's actually quite interesting you talk about that because uh, in, in, the, in the darts world, there has been a bit of talk about the women's game and the PDC have been trying to – Grow, grow the women's game. Of course, they've introduced women's uh, tournament series. I think they do four events over a weekend. They've now got the women's match play, which is for the top eight women in the world, and they have the two women's world champ spots. And the chief executive, Matt Porter, was asked recently about a women's world champs, and he said, he said, yes, it is in the in our plans, but he said not right now because he said we need to let the game organically grow. Exactly. He said, he said if we host it now, he said realistically there's probably only three to four women that could really compete for the title. Yeah. He said the, we're going to we're introducing more events every year. The prize money is going up. So then in say five years time, we might have eight, ten players that we know can compete for a title, and the demand yeah, will be yeah, there. Yeah, but see, see, I understand. Look, you know, women, you know, have been the, the whole equal rights issue and. It's been an issue for a long time, and I think most people these days understand some of the um, barriers that have been put up in the past regarding women, um, regarding a lot of aspects of society. And you'd like to think that a lot of those barriers have come down or certainly been coming down, and it's still a bit of a work in progress. But yeah, in the name of just, yeah, I just feel that they've politicised it too much, trying to convince us, trying to sell it. And I think the fact that the crowds are not turning up to anywhere near the same degree of the opening day is actually a demonstration of the true economy of this sport. I'll be honest, I went through, I didn't watch the game over the weekend, but I was interested and I followed the results online or the updated scores. But I didn't follow... I didn't go to my watch the Black Ferns because I just knew they were going to do a demolition on the Welsh. I just knew it was going to be a one-sided affair. And I had other things I needed to do. Now, come a semi-final against France, come a final against England, I will watch them because I'm not going to be sure of what the outcome is. Anyway, you might want to have your comment. 0800 150 Hey, Michael Holdsworth, appreciate you texting in, big guy. I really do appreciate you listening all the time too, mate. And thank you. Um, someone just saying, G'day, Watto. Another thing to factor in is the late season finish for rugby. We are two weeks into summer sport. Club cricket finishes at 6.30. Nobody is going to travel to a scaffold stadium. Yeah, and I agree with that. And the MPC should be the focal point in this country with rugby. It should be the starting point. It should be our premier competition. We've got to find a way 
of bringing private equity into our provincial unions purely in terms of the NPC side, some sort of ownership model, the opportunity to bring foreign players in and getting the big television deals and making the New Zealand rugby comp the equivalent of the English Premier League. But rugby should be concerned that the crowds that have turned up to the NPC semi-finals, the crowd that's going to turn up to the final, and it's indicative of the game as a whole, and that's what they can't see. It's what Sky Television can't see. 26 minutes away from 9 o'clock. Oh, nothing better than a bit of Aerosmith to kick things off. 0800 150 is the number. We are talking darts between 9 and 10. Well, Ben Francis is talking darts. I might just come put my feet up, have a cup of coffee, actually, or I might just listen to darts. Well, he's uh, curious about darts. I want your. I'd like. I'm hoping to get some contribution from Watto tonight. Yeah, I could probably um, ask you some questions, interview you, mate. It's probably more the thing. That'd probably be more interesting. I can't actually contribute much to it. I like anything though. What I will say about darts. What I will say about most. Well, most sports at the highest level, you've got to be exceptional. Exceptional. Are some sports harder than others? I think some sports are harder mentally because of the hurt that you put yourself in, um, without a doubt. But to master a sport requires this huge time and huge sacrifice, whatever it has been. But Have, I would imagine that playing darts is probably perhaps a lot more enjoyable perhaps than trying to master being a 400-metre hurdler. Oh, yeah. I, where I'm, you are just going to be, you know, every time you line up, you're just going to suffer like you cannot imagine. You get a nervous heartbeat because you know what it's going to feel like in that last 50 to 100 metres. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, but or marathon running. There's yeah. a very interesting book which came out uh, quite a few years ago, and it's called uh, Murder on the Dartboard. Yeah. And this guy, his name is Justin Irwin. I think he was like in a top business position, and he just he quit his job, and he decided to do this book where he was going to spend a whole year just practising darts to try qualify for the World Darts Championships. And I think quite a few of the players got a bit upset by it, thinking like, who's this guy? Thinking like, who's he's going to come and do this? And he was trying to say, no, guys, I'm trying to prove it's actually a lot harder. I, I'm actually giving you, yeah, I'm actually here to actually show you respect that yeah. not even a year. Because there's the old book that was a book that came out about the table tennis players talking about the ten thousand hour rule. And I think there's some, I think there's some um, ten thousand hours. So it's almost ten years of hard work. And I think there's probably it's probably a good baseline in terms of um, starting to master something or starting to get some cut through. Like I, I even add up how many hours I've done on radio over the years and I know I'm well past the 10,000 hours and I think I'm certainly a lot better than I was years ago. But this is so subjective and this is um, there's no sort of parameters that surround it necessarily um, that you probably never, ever master it. But yeah, 10,000 hours, 10 years, so you do 40 hours a week. Uh, or let's say realistically you 25, 30 hours a week, say 48 weeks of the year, what are we looking at? 12, 1,500 hours a year. Um, so you're looking at six, seven years, and you start so seven years of full time working hard, hard at it. Yeah, and you've got some ability. You might get there if you've got the mental fortitude. You still have to have the mental fortitude, and you don't often know if you've got that until you start. You know, start getting a bit of um, adversity or start competing more regularly on the highest stage. Anyway, uh, look, we're happy to segue into that. Hey, uh, if you have just joined us, too, another Raw Black having another sabbatical. Where do you sit with sabbaticals? Is that just New Zealand rugby realistically trying to find the balance to subsidise our top players wage-wise because realistically we can't do it. 
but overseas, if they were to play professionally, they could earn a lot more than they earn here. Is that a good enough reason to do it? Or are you just a bit more black and white like me? If you want to be an all-black, you stay here, you play rugby and you become one. And you look after the domestic game. Because the domestic game you need, and the domestic game needs its heroes and it needs its best players. And the worst thing you can do is not play here, but then still expect to wear the all-black jersey. Am I being a little bit too black and white? A little bit too simplistic in my approach, or am I not realistic? 0800-150-811 is the number. You can text us here on 8833. We will look at the English Premier League after 10 o'clock too. Got plenty of audio. Great victory from Liverpool over Manchester City. Really, really good game. Brutal. A lot of animosity, a lot of niggle, but a rivalry now that the English Premier League are going to capitalise on, spectator-wise, viewing-wise, and that's all going to come back commercially for the English Premier League and for the two clubs involved. It's a model that New Zealand rugby sky television just don't get. Have people talking about the game. Give them a reason to talk about it. Most of the time that reason is because you have two tribes and you want them to go to war. And so you need to create the niggle. You need to create the discussion. You need to create the controversy. I mean, what is worse on Sky Television when you just know coaches like each other, you know nothing about the coaches, they're not personalities, they go down at half time, the guy asking the question actually already provides the answer. I'd imagine, John, uh, you'd like to see a little bit more parody at scrum time. Um, your set piece hasn't been working well. And they put the microphone in front of them and they go, yeah, no, we talked about that at half time, John. Yeah. Uh, hey, look, thanks. Back upstairs to you. Um, and the commentator then takes over. Finish the game. Yeah, yeah, just want to thank the boys. Yeah, you know, the boys up front did a really good job tonight. You know, um, yeah, we'll celebrate tonight. Hey, thanks, guys. And that's what you get. And then they try and have these big sit-round, former All Blacks sitting around before the game, telling us what we already know. You know, I think it's going to be one up front tonight. I'm expecting the Blues to play expensive rugby but they're going to need to shut down Richie Mawanga. And, and, and they wonder why no one's watching it. They wonder why no one's watching it. They wonder why their share price is 22 cents. You've invested $450 million in rugby, this is Sky I'm talking about, into a product that's in decline, And when asked why they're not doing more shows like NRL 360, asking the hard questions of the administrators, getting a high level of engagement, their responses, why should we be the ones that do that? Why can't radio do that? And you sit there and scratch your head and go, because radio are not the ones that have just invested $450 million. You should be controlling the leverage. 
14 minutes away from nine. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more. Okay, it is nine minutes away from nine o'clock. Texas come in. How good was that result for the San Diego Padres with Don Tricker on their staff? Tricker coached the Black Sox to World Championships, was also New Zealand Rugby Union High Performance Manager until headhunted by the Padres. Yes, aware of Don Tricker being with the Padres. Um, part of the reason is I know that Regan Wood, who um, is the GM of the Auckland Tuatara baseball team, has had some uh, has a relationship with the Padres. In fact, the Padres are sending down some of their minor league players for this um, summer of the Australian Baseball League. Also, really interesting story, um, Jared Koenig, who pitched for the Auckland Tuatara two years ago, who they signed out of independent ball in America, played really well here, was signed by the Oakland Athletics while playing for the Auckland Tuatara. And he ended up making his major league debut this year for the Oakland A's. Well, his younger brother, Jared's younger brother, Ian Koenig, who's just 20, and I was lucky enough to meet earlier this year when I was over there, has just signed a contract with the San Diego Padres as part of their farm system as well. So, yeah, nice connection there with Don Trigger. A lot of people will be hoping that the San Diego Padres can maybe go on and win the World Series. Um, interesting to see the Atlanta Braves knocked out the defending World Series. Yankees in a bit of trouble. Really, really cool game. And I do encourage people to get along if you live in the Auckland, Greater Auckland region at some point. Get along and watch uh, the Tuatara when they do play. First home series is early in December. Uh, I've got to say, one of the best experiences of my life two years ago when I got to c- commentate the games, actually. It took me about 20 games to get my head around it, to be honest. I'm not going to lie, I was pretty damn average. But when I started to understand the subtleties and then the language required to actually call a game of baseball, it's very different to just knowing Major League Baseball and knowing your stats and knowing who your players are versus commentating it. But being part of that team, being underneath the stands, being in the clubhouse, um, being around that team, very, very cool indeed. Put it right up there with anything that I have done in broadcasting, which includes sort of having been involved at four Olympics and having called some of the biggest sporting events in the world. Seven minutes away from nine. Ben, you look like you were going to say something, mate. You put your headphones on. You looked like you were going to jump in. And oh, I, I, I was thinking about asking. You know, what are the possibilities of uh, Watto scoring me like a VIP pass or something? Pretty quick. As long as I've got a commentary gig, because there's a few things still regarding some broadcasting issues. Well, you know, all of that stuff. If I, if I get a gig, mate, I'm happy to look after you, big guy. No, thank you. No problem at all. It's, it's cool. It's a cool evening, man. They do it well, eh? That's all on I want. The smell wanted. of an oily rag. It's very cool, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, they North Harbour Stadium, they do it well. Do it well. Really, really cool. Real privilege. Um, yeah, a, a different team than what we saw from two years ago, but really strong affiliations with a lot of the major league clubs and the fact that a lot of the Australian baseball league teams have affiliations with the major leagues just demonstrates the high standard of baseball, the high calibre. And, of course, there are a number of former major leaguers who do come and play. For some of them, it's just a chance to play some baseball in another part of the world. Um, a lot of guys, it's a chance, some of them have been injured and it's just a chance to get some baseball in before they go into spring training and hopefully reset their season. And so, yeah, do encourage people to get along. Go and watch something different. I tell you what, they'll look after you once you get in there. They won't have the arrogance of rugby. And I'm pretty sure if you want to talk to a player on a radio station, they'll put them up real quick. You won't have to go through the media prevention offices, which is what we deal with regularly here. Well, I, I wouldn't say so much here. I'm just saying for my time in the media, 
I find a lot of these media people, particularly in rugby and cricket, just prevention officers. You know, too busy, too tired. We don't need you. You go, well, actually you do. Have you seen how many people turned up to your game? Have you seen how few people are actually watching your damn sport? Ah, but you don't need us. Ah, you know best. Sport in New Zealand is still just defined by rugby league netball, cricket. Well, no, it's not actually. See how many people are riding bikes? See how many people are playing golf? Go to Takapuna Beach, see how many people are sea swimming these days. See how many people are out running, playing billiards and pool, playing darts. Basketball. Basketball is arguably the biggest of all of them. I will get back to you though. Yeah, look, can't really put the player up today, eh? Yeah, no, they're tired. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. I didn't realise I was dealing with Liverpool Football Club, Barcelona, Real Madrid, but perhaps I am. Absolute morons. Four minutes away from nine. Everybody out there, sing it. I know you want to sing it. Even you non-Liverpool fans, you're envious. You wish this was your club song. Sing it out loud, people. Turn it up, Ben. There's a golden sky. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. Liverpool 1, Manchester City 0. Manchester City going 19 consecutive games, having scored. Joe Gomez. Milner. Van Dijk. Robertson. Shut them down. And what was a great advertisement for football... Further enhanced a wonderful rivalry and continued to demonstrate why the English Premier League is without doubt the best sporting competition on the planet amongst all sport. We're going to talk some English Premier League football now on the programme. Ben Ransom from Sky in the UK joins us to talk all things football. Ben, good evening. Welcome. How are you? Yeah, good evening. Um, I'm good, actually. I think, I mean, look, what, a, what an intro in terms of the Premier League. But yeah, I mean, it seems to get better and better every week. And in terms of the quality on show, the intensity of that game at Anfield was something pretty special, wasn't it? Well, it was. And, you know, let's not kid ourselves. Jurgen Klopp is a manager under pressure for probably the first time in, what, seven years. And you look at that City lineup with Bernardo Silva, Gundogan, Harling, Foden, De Bruyne. I mean, it's one hell of a side. And as a lot of other clubs have said, I mean, how do you compete when you've basically got a country financing a club? Um, but, you know, I think what that performance from Liverpool showed today is that it can be done, that you can stop Manchester City. You can. Um, look, I think there are, it, with these big games, when, when two big teams go at it, there are always two or three key moments in any match that decide them because chances are relatively few and far between. Because um, what I love about Manchester City and Liverpool games is that both teams have such attacking quality. And they've showed that over the last kind of five or six years. Each team has scored tremendous goals. They play with a lot of possession. They play with an intensity, uh, a desire, a ruthlessness, which means that sometimes they absolutely smash teams out of the park and it's a no contest. But when they go toe-to-toe, it's something pretty special. I think we saw a lot of that. There was certainly um, the 
The atmosphere at Anfield was fantastic. It was a bit of a cauldron. City don't like going there. I think I'm right in saying their only win on, at Anfield in the last few years was the year they played in the COVID-affected season. So, um, in the league anyway. So, look, it's a, it's a tough place to go. And Liverpool needed a response, right? So, they've had a miserable start to the season by their own standards. The win against Rangers kind of gave them a little bit of confidence. But whether, you know, it wasn't going to be just confidence that got them through the game at the weekend. They needed everything to kind of go their way in terms of the crowd, the atmosphere, the occasion, in terms of Mo Salah being back to scoring again and taking his chance. So, yeah, I mean, I think it was a fantastic advert. Mm. Is there a, a better cauldron in all of sport? I mean, maybe St. James, Newcastle, but I mean, Anfield, the thing I love about it is they haven't gone and built the big flash new stadium. Yes, they've added to their existing stadium, but there is... You know, it's all those little idiosyncrasies. There's just such history. And how often do you see the twelfth man at Anfield? Yeah, I think um, I think you're right. It's right up there. There's no doubt on the big days. I mean, in particular, Anfield is at its most special. I've been to many games there. Are different matches, all sorts of games. It's at its most special on the big European nights, the latter stages of the Champions League, quarter and semi-finals, or when a Real Madrid or someone's in town. That's when it's at its absolute best. That is when it's kind of prickling your hairs for 90 plus minutes but when it comes to the big Premier League games Manchester United that rivalry and now Manchester City of course it's, it takes on a similar kind of intensity and obviously it's, it was it was perfect that the Knights have started to draw in a little bit here so it was getting it was feeling a bit more like an evening game even though it was a 4.30 kickoff in the afternoon um, and that always raises it another notch and then you need flashpoints in the game the players were clearly up for it there were a couple of moments, weren't there, where the crowd really got into the game because of something they either liked or disliked. I think the referee did okay, given that he was under such pressure and he let a lot of it go, which again adds to a, a fantastic kind of occasion. The crowd were in it, and I think you're right, in terms of world venues, in terms of UK venues that I've been to, it's, it's right up there in terms of uh, football. St. James's Park is there. I mean, Goodison Park as well, to be fair to Everton, just over just over Stanley Park, a mile or so away. Like when it comes to a Merseyside derby there or a big game, that can be really intense under the lights. And yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of the Premier League, right? The fans, the stadiums, you're right on top of the action um, and you're involved in the game, essentially. Yeah, yeah, Ben, I, I use it as the benchmark for all sport. Like, well, I think rugby here has lost its soul. It's really struggling. There just doesn't seem to be that engagement. Um, everything's sort of, our media have become a bit of a PR firm for New Zealand rugby. Our managers don't say too much, or our coaches don't say a lot. The players are fairly sort of, um, you know, rehearsed in what they say. And what I love about the English Premier League, you, you know, whether you go on BBC, whether you go on Sky Sport, there are just so many different narratives. Your, your coaches are just such, your managers are just such big personalities. You celebrate the good things. You talk and discuss the bad things, the players that are informed, the players that are not. I mean, there's also the distractions off the field, but they're all stories. They all just keep that engagement going, rightly or wrongly. And I think I think it's that that makes it so exciting. And then, you know, clearly, like I say, the top teams as well. But, but there's so much to play for, whether it's staying out of the relegation zone, whether it's trying to get a Champions League spot, you know, UEFA um, spot, or simply those, you know, middle of the those middle clubs trying to just knock over the big clubs. Uh, I mean, has it ever been more popular than it is now? I think on a global scale, no. I think um, I think that's the thing that I've noticed in the last decade. Really, is how the Premier League has grown worldwide. Now, we've always been very lucky to have intense football in this in the country, even if sometimes the quality wasn't always there. 
Um, you know, I, I think the disparity in the league that was kind of initially caused by the Champions League and then Manchester United having all of that run of success and that kind of closed shop of top European clubs, that did sway it slightly. But then you can still only have 11 players on the team. Uh, and I think what's happened in the last kind of five years is that with the Premier League broadcast money going up on an international scale as well as domestically, it's enabled that kind of middling club to really have a go because lots of these middling clubs that you, you talk about, they have such a tremendous history. I mean, look, football has been around for more than 100 years. You know, go back into the early 1900s and you've got, you know, the likes of Huddersfield Town winning uh, the, the, the top division so well. You know, Leeds have got a tremendous history mm. just to, in more recent times. Nottingham Forest are back for the first time in 23 years. It wasn't that long ago, certainly in my lifetime. They were champions of Europe. So, you know, football isn't just the Premier League. Well, and because of that, you've got these rich histories of clubs like Forest and Liverpool uh, and Leeds and Tottenham and Chelsea that have, have all think they've got a right to be at the very top or certainly can achieve that. And I think that's, it's that pyramid and that kind of idealism uh, that everyone can shoot for the top. And Leicester winning it a few years ago just gave it the shot in the arm it needs to prove to everyone do it right and you do have a chance. Oh, I remember the days of Kevin Keegan at Southampton. And I'll say this today. People always ask me, what's the greatest achievement in sport? And I'll I'll go back and say Leicester City winning the Premier League because it's not like uh, you can see tennis players go on a bit of a run at a Grand Slam and the odd player might get through. But you have to do this over 38 regular season games and you've actually got to have a squad. It's, you know, individuals will win your game, but a squad will win your championship. You're coming up against these massive clubs. And, yeah, unbelievable achievement. Uh, look, we haven't spoken before Ben uh, can I ask you who, who do you support who's your local club my team is a team called Charlton Athletic who you will remember yep. being in the Premier League maybe 10-15 years ago but they have since fallen on pretty high, horrible times so I've, I've had some good times um, but it's one of those and I think that's also it's that tribalism of football which gives us the passion I think I mean certainly in the Premier League and you talk about Liverpool being a cauldron like I mean even so, even despite the globalisation of it, even despite the fact there are so many more eyeballs on the Premier League. In the same way, for example, I like the, you know, I love the NFL these days. I've, uh, I've followed the Packers. They were in London last week. I went down to watch them, right? So I count myself very much as a fan. But there's something very special about someone who is from, you know, the street next door to the stadium whose family for 10 generations have been going to Anfield or Goodison Park or in Charlton's case, the Valley or whatever. And I love that. And I love that affinity that people have with their hometown. And that really gives it that extra spice, I think, because it really matters for all these guys. They'll go into work of a, of a Monday morning and, you know, the city fan in the office, they can all give jitsu. If it's, you know, in your family, it might be that your, your sister-in-law's family or support Everton or whatever it might be. And it, it matters. It really matters. And I love that. Actually, someone's just texted and told me that Charlton Athletic won the FA Cup in 1946-1947. There you go. We did. We also got to the final in 46 and we're the only team to have ever got to the FA Cup final having lost along the way because for the only time in 46 they had two-legged semi-finals. We lost the first leg, won the second leg. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Hey, let's just um, <laughs> let's just switch it up. I do just want to touch on, oh, I've got a f- friend um, who's in media and broadcasting who's just mad to hot, Tottenham Hotspur, can't stand Arsenal, the Northern London uh, rivalry there. But were Arsenal lucky, should that penalty been awarded for Gabriel bringing down lead striker Patrick Bamford? Bamford? I mean, this weekend there are a few of these decisions. Um, VAR's got a very tough job. And I, I, I think when, when it's not quite settled into the point now where 
we don't... I mean, Michael Richards made a good comment actually after the Liverpool-City game yesterday about re-refereeing the games. And he was talking about the City disallowed goal. And he was saying the referee had a really good view. And Fabinho goes down, you know, and there is a shirt ball. There's no argument about that. His hands on his shirt. Was it enough to bring him down? Well, the referee's got in the moment at real speed. No, play on. They look and look and look, and it's four angles mm. later. And it's the same thing with that, with that decision in, the, in, the, um, in that game, in the Arsenal game. It's... Um, it's you're going, oh, you're picking over these decisions. Now, in a funny way, and I don't give FIFA much credit, I think the way they implement VAR is actually better. In the World Cup in 2018 was the first time they used it at a major tournament. And it worked really well. The referee would only go to the monitor if there was something clear and obvious. He'd look at it. And even then, you know, it wasn't always the case where the mind would be changed. You know, he would, he would get the advice. In the Premier League, we're at this point now where... In Stockley Park, which is where the, the video assistant referee sits, they go over it numerous angles. They essentially tell the referee, you know, you've, it, it says you've got to go and change. You might have a look at it, but we're advising you this, this, this. Have you thought about that, that, that? I think, I, I mean, I think, was it, um, was there one occasion? Was it, was it Anthony Taylor? I can't remember. There was one referee, or oh, maybe it's happened twice where they've gone to the screen and gone, well, no, I'm sticking with my original decision. But more often than not, they get that from outside. And then, of course, it's very hard because you're in the middle of, we talk about the intensity of atmosphere. How do you go through that it's, you know, and take yourself away? Because you're going to be worried at all times as a referee. No doubt, are you giving too much favour to one side or the other? We saw the game, the Man United game is a good example. Actually. There were two penalty incidents in that game. Both weren't given, which I think was probably just about right. They were both very similar. You can't give one without the other. Well, the referee on the field decided the first one wasn't a penalty. So similarly, when the second one happened, I think it was Jaden Sancho, but the second one went down, the referee decided, well, look, it's a similar kind of challenge to the one I didn't give earlier. And that's the way refereeing kind of should be. Mm. Here's my level on the day. This is what is a foul, a challenge, a penalty, mm. a yellow card, a red card. That's my barometer. Not someone sat, you know, in a studio, air-conditioned studio in the dark watching on a monitor. Yeah, yeah, look, and I agree. I mean, we have it a lot in rugby here where we slow it down so much and you go, well, hang on a minute, the game's not played in slow motion. And you're actually looking for a reason not to award it. Sometimes just play it at full speed, play it yeah. quickly, play it from four different angles. If it looks like a try, it is a try. If it doesn't look like he's got control of the ball when he's dotting it down, he hasn't got control. Um, and yeah, you just sort of scratch your head sometimes and go, come on, back in the day. There's no way that would have been awarded. But it is what it is. Um, how much pressure is Steven Gerrard under at Aston Villa? Another loss, uh, this time 2-0 to Chelsea? A fair amount, I think. Uh, it's been slowly building. Now, there's within the club, I think there's a, obviously there's a desire to see him come out of this spell and do well. I mean, the problem he had, I think, was at the start of the season, he, um, he's brought in some quite creative players. You know, he's got Buendia and Coutinho, for example who have come in to be players that have proved that they can create magic. They're very, they're flair players. They can score, they can assist, they can, they can build into quite a fluid system. And we've just not seen the best of them. At the start of the season, they were struggling for goals and results. So in recent weeks, what Gerard's done is he's gone, right, well, look, we've got to stop losing. So we'll try and shore it up at the back. And actually, results have picked up, but they've been very tough to watch. Um, they've not created a great deal. They've not scored many goals at all. Chelsea was always going to be difficult because once Tyrone Mings heads the ball up in the air and they give away the first goal, that game plan of be solid first is out the window a little bit. Now, actually, they had chances, funnily enough, in this game. I mean, the Chelsea keeper, Kepa Arizabalaga, made some outstanding saves. So on one hand, they were unlucky, but the pressure is growing because at some point they have to start getting out of this rut. It's not enough 
to have you know very dour performances and get the odd result. The fans won't stomach that for too long. He's got to start to use the tools and the players because they have backed him financially and create something a little bit more exciting. Okay, just a couple more questions um, to finish, Ben. Are Arsenal the real deal? I think they are. I think um, and the, the fixture list has been favourable. I will say that to start with. It's not been the most difficult start to the season. But in the tough games, the biggest games they've played, they've, they've done really well, I think. I think um, you can't be top of the table at this stage and not have had a really good start. Um, they came through the North London derby, obviously. They came through against Liverpool and they came through against Manchester United uh, in terms of performance. But the result wasn't there, right? So that's the only blip on their whole season. And they played really well in that game. So they are very good. They're doing it in Europe as well. They're still winning all their matches in the Europa League. Clearly, Mikel Arteta's got a squad that he now believes, well, well, first of all, he can trust to do what he wants to do. I mean, you've seen quite a big overhaul of players over the last couple of years. And you have to say the process has been very impressive because he's gone in. Don't forget, he, he kind of, he learned his trade under Pep Guardiola at Manchester City. And when Pep came to City, Pep knows what he needs to succeed. And he came in, he made some very unpopular decisions straight away. The fullbacks in particular, he spent a load of money on fullbacks because he just didn't rate the guys he had. Joe Hart was England's number one. He basically turned around on day one and said, you're not going to be my goalkeeper. I'm sorry, you, you know, you don't fit into the way I want to play. And he backed himself and look what he's created. And Arteta had to do a similar thing at Arsenal. He went in and there were a lot of players in that dressing room, in that squad. Clearly, he didn't feel he could work with. He's, over the course of two or three seasons, been able to mould the team and a squad now that's young, that's hungry, that's vibrant. They're playing with not only a, st- a stability at the back and, and a core, which Arsenal have missed for maybe 20 years, but they've also got flair and in Jesus, in Martinelli, in Odegaard. They've got players that are creating brilliant performances. And Saka's gone on to another level in the last few weeks as well. So I'm, I'm actually really excited to be infused. They're a good team to watch. They're playing really well. It would have been fascinating to see them play Manchester City this week, but that's been postponed because obviously they've got that rearranged game in Europe. Um, I think they're in a great place. The challenge will be picking it up again once we've had that yep. break for the World Cup. And, and, at the moment, they've got the momentum. And that was my next question, Ben. Which teams favour this sort of six- to eight-week break, which is going to happen due to the FIFA World Cup, and what teams have perhaps the most to lose? Um, I think Arsenal have the most to lose because they've started so well. And if they, you know, they're essentially starting the season again, which is really difficult when you're in such a good place. But realistically for Arsenal, they will want to, if they can stay in and around the Tartar race for, you know, for as long as they can and finish in the top four, that's a very good season for them, given what we've seen recently. Because it enables them again to go in the summer, build with another couple of pieces uh, and improve the squad again. I mean, look, I watch Manchester City most weeks, and in Haaland, they've got a player who's absolutely exceptional. I can't see them. And, and also, what they have got in the squad, I'll also add, is experience of, of kind of difficult seasons, easy seasons, relentless seasons. I can't see past them for the title. But the battle for the top four is really interesting because Chelsea under Graham Potter have started really well. Antonio Conte is a fierce competitor, as we know, at Tottenham. So he's right in the mix. And because of Liverpool's slow start, despite the quality in their squad, they're going to have to play catch-up. So Liverpool need a second half of the season, akin to what we've seen when they've either won or come very close in the title race. So hey, hey, Ben, 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 they started their 30-game winning streak today. Maybe they did. But if they did, fantastic, right? Because that <laughs> squad is littered with talent. You know, if, 
if all of a sudden they become that machine we've seen under Jurgen Klopp and they've had this kind of blip now and they're back on it, they're going to get in the top four because you're right, they are, they've proven they can do it, right? They've proven they can win 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 games in a row. That is what it takes, I think. And after the World Cup, they're going to be starting a season again. So actually for Liverpool, it might be the break they really need. Salah's not going to the World Cup. He can have a rest, put his feet up, whatever. Get the squad back together, go again, start again, and just aim for that top four. It's very clear, defined focus. That might be just what they need to, to get in there. But don't forget, they've got to overcome that points deficit from this first part of the season. So, look, I mean, it's going to be fascinating. And there are going to be, there's going to be one or two teams, I'm afraid to say, that will just drop away and just not be able to cope with it. Yeah, a lot of pure, unless you talk about Charlton Athletic, imagine a lot of people, and I'm one of them, I, I just hope that sort of Nottingham Forest can sort of turn it around too, use the break to their advantage and somehow just stay up. Uh, I mean, I think there are other clubs that I'd prefer to stay down, but, I, I, you know, Forest, one of the great clubs historically, love to see them stay up. Oh, I, I agree. They're a great asset to the Premier League. I mean, look, as much as Le- Le- Leeds were the team 20 years ago, everyone hated, right? And then because they were outside the Premier League for such a long time, everyone kind of had them as, you know, everyone's kind of rooting for them a little bit because you want them back. We talked about those big games at the very start of this conversation, the atmospheres, the, the stadiums. Ellen Road is an absolute cauldron. It's brilliant to watch football there. We want to see Leeds in the Premier League in the same way. You're right, Forrest, it's been too long. That history on the Brian Clough, what they did in English football at that period was absolutely remarkable. And it's... It, it, they getting them back in was such a, a, a fairy tale. The fact they've had such a difficult start is tough. But Steve Cooper, the manager there, I went to see him the other week and had a good old chat. And he was telling me that he's under no illusions at the, the, the size of the challenge of trying to knit that group of new players together. They had to recruit heavily in the summer because they lost maybe eight, nine, ten players they had on loan or, or whatever. So they had to bring in a lot of numbers. He's now got the challenge as a man who's never managed in the Premier League to get that squad playing. Well, We've seen a slight upturn in recent games, and I do wonder if they can just get maybe one, two for the World Cup. They can go away. Yes, a lot of the squad will be going to the World Cup, but he'll have time at some point in that period to start to try and build a team. And if he can, let's not forget what they did last year. When he took over just over a year ago, they were in the relegation zone in the championship. They got promoted to Premier League. So also, a bit like Liverpool, at least they've got some experience of being able to go on a run and achieve. Because, look, bottom three at the moment, Forest, Leicester, Southampton, three great Premier League teams. We can't lose all of them. Please, no. Mm. Hey, just uh, before we let you go, someone's just texted in, been wanting to know, and you're only allowed to name one, who was the greatest Charlton Athletic player ever? Now, that's really hard because obviously we were fantastic back in the day when a goalkeeper called Sam Bartram, who's kind of like a statue outside the club, legend. We, we always say best goalkeeper never to play for England, that kind of thing. Yep. Played during that period, we're talking about, about winning the cup and that. But, Obviously, the Premier League takes it to another level. So in, in my lifetime, I've seen some fantastic players. But, I mean, Bartram's up there. We've got a pair of strikers called Hales and Fermani who were big in the 70s. So you've got to go with, a, got to go with what, my, what my dad and my uncle would say. They'd say probably, uh, they'd probably say Derek Hales. There you go. Brilliant, Ben. Hey, lovely to have you on the programme. Really enjoyed our discussion. Thank you. Mate, enjoy Enjoy the fact that Liverpool are on the way, on the way up rather than on the way down. Oh, we're going to be singing You'll Never Walk Alone for the rest of the night, Ben. <laughs> Lovely. 22 and a half minutes after 10 o'clock, you're listening to SENZ. Uh, telephone number if you want to join the discussion, 0800 If you don't want to talk some English Premier League, I'd love to hear from you. I don't care what team you support. Jump on the phone. Tell me why it's such a good competition. Tell me how much you hate Liverpool. Tell me, just tell me, jump on, tell me what club you support and who you hate more than anyone else. We'll take a break. Come back with more. 
Right, it is 27 minutes after 10. We've been talking a little bit of our football. We are going to talk some rugby league very shortly on the programme too. We'll just get a bit of a wrap from our Australian, our English correspondent living in Australia, I'm told. But he's over in the UK covering it. But he's over in the UK covering it. So we've had Australia play Fiji, we've had New Zealand take on Lebanon, and we've had England take on Samoa. So we'll get his thoughts uh, on the Rugby League World Cup. But let's continue talking about arguably one of the most viewed sporting events in the world that will be this year, and that was played early this morning, New Zealand time, Liverpool-Manchester City. Liverpool getting up over City, one goal to nil. Let's hear from the winning manager, Jurgen Klopp. We were at the limit, eh? so um, that's what we had to be. But told the boys in half time, if you think it's intense, ask them. It's for them of the same intensity. And in the end, it will be a little bit about who wants it more. Not, not that they didn't want it, they wanted a lot. But we had then, of course, the help from Enfield, um, home game. That must make the difference in moments. And we had the better chances in the end, um, the clearer chances in a super intense game against a team which is incredibly difficult to play. But we closed the right gaps, we found the challenges in the right areas. We, 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 um, Denied them in so many moments where they actually want to usually get really through. Um, but that's it, it's not more. It was just a, a super game. Um, two really good football teams who gave the absolutely, absolute all. Of course, I don't want to get into like the pre decision, but there is that decision about their goal that was uh, disallowed because all of them, what we have the interview, we were listening to them, they were saying it's because of Anfield that they, the goal was disallowed. What was your take on it? So what I heard now, I didn't see it back, but everybody, um, so I saw the situation with uh, when Haaland pulled um, Fabinho down, just whistle it there and everything is fine and we don't talk afterwards. I think then Ali has the hand on the ball and Haaland kicks the ball anyway, but that was not checked by VAR, which is funny actually, because everybody on our bench thought this situation will be checked. But we are in the hands of the refs, we just sit there and have a look and, and we have nothing to do with that really. And and feel I don't know. Whatever I can understand that, but um, I think it's a foul, first place, and it's a foul again against Ali, um, and then in the end it should not be a goal. But uh, I don't know how other, play, other people want to explain that. And just to finish with, of course, it's a passion everywhere, and you are a passionate person. Did that go a bit too far? You think? Or yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I got carried away. That's clear. But I never saw a more clear situation which didn't get whistled. I have no idea what it how is that now? Everybody in the stadium saw. That's a clear foul, by the way, like four or five times before. Mo gave absolutely everything. And I don't know what, what was the problem with Mo tonight because he didn't get free kicks at all. So, first half, you thought, hey, how is, that not a, how is that not a foul? And then this situation is now obvious, not a harsh foul, but it's just a foul. So, linesman directly there, ref let it go in the first half before we concede the goal, which was no goal. A clear foul against us. Well, interesting. So we have to ask the ref about that. In that situation, I lost it. That's absolutely true. Um, I don't think I saw, said anything bad, um, if I remember it right. But I look like I look, and that's already worth a red card. Sorry to add this one more question, because on the board it said 11. Was Mo about to leave the pe- uh, pitch, or was that a mistake? No, 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 that was a mistake. Of course not. So, what, what, I don't understand the question, because that would mean Mo comes to me, tells I don't want to leave when he stays on the no, pitch. No, 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 because we saw how it, is it, how is it then? How, what could be the other explanation then? No, but that's what I'm saying, because it was on the board. We it were cannot be a mistake. <laughs> I talk, when you look at this picture, you see me, Mo, come here, mm. talk, 
and Mo doesn't Mo doesn't understand that as well because he sees his number, but I don't know that his number is on the board. So and then and he says I'm on the board. Yeah, but that's wrong. So change that. And then I spoke to Mo because his role changed. Okay, 28 and a half minutes away from 11 o'clock. Let's hear from Pep Guardiola, who can't imagine was overly happy with some of the refereeing as well. Well, this is Anfield. This is Anfield. The referee spoke with my assistant coach, Rodo, and Jurgen said, okay, I'm not going to make faults until it will be clear, clear. And all that game was play on and play on and play on and play on. Except the goal, because we scored after it's not play on. So this will happen. The referee can decide, I'm going to whistle all the actions, all the actions, all the actions. But he decided to do it, and after he did it. We didn't lose the game for that, because nobody knows what would happen. But it was a moment that we have in our momentum, and we control the score goal, and uh, could not do it. And, uh, and, uh, and after we lost by a mistake, so we didn't fall the transition that we know every time Alison played quick and Kevin didn't follow and Joao lose the duel. Always is difficult against Salah because he used perfectly the body, it was so good and after that the transition for Liverpool always is his key point. And this is the that what we have to learn for the future for our tight games, like always have been against Liverpool and Champions League games always have been. But the way we play, the performance we came here with the make a build up and with the courage we play was was fantastic like lately it happened here mm-hmm. the FA Cup semi-finals and the community shield we were so soft they they shout we have to shout more they run we have to run more otherwise in this stadium it's impossible they will handle it and we did it and uh, and after football is football it happened Well, at the beginning, Bernardo, and after swap with, with Gundo. But uh, do you know how many chances we had in Anfield? Okay, maybe we saw a different game. Okay. Well, we had uh, four or five or six chances or seven chances in Anfield in front of the keeper. So they make a transition. So it was a tight game, as always have been. And at the end, one mistake we commit. So, so in that level, we cannot consider the mistakes we have done and, and we, that's in October it will be good for the future No, no, no no, no. When I arrived here but this is Anfield this is Anfield the crowd and, and everything so so many, many years we come here many, many years come here many years we lost because we make a mistake we play one of the best teams in the world Play three Champions League finals or two, three times in four or five years. So it's an exceptional team. I admire them a lot and that well. So it's so tight in the margins. See, Champions League, when we lost 3 0 here, and what happened here, and many, many times. So is that. So today is play on, play on, play on, play on. It's okay. It's on both sides. Julian was upset, I was upset because clear, fun, play on, play on. Ah, when we score a goal, it's not play on. So just it's the truth. This is the reality. Yeah, next time, next time we will do it better. So it didn't get me. 
they try it again next year. Yeah, yeah, of course. I was going, they tried, but didn't get it. So they got it in the coach years ago, but not, not that time. That time, no. Yeah, of course. The they shout, we shout more. Otherwise, here in this team, you go, go down. But do you think it had a, an effect on setting the crowd alight in terms of giving Liverpool the impetus to, to go on? After the goal, is allowed it, so everyone. So the, the game was calm in the terms, and after there was more. After they scored a goal, they were the real Anfield. That's normal. Right, we are talking rugby league. I haven't spoken to him before, but I'm told he's an outstanding man. George Clark joins us to talk some rugby league. George, good evening. Welcome. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, good morning from the UK, guys. How are you travelling? Yeah, very, very well. Thank you. Well, look, our Rugby League uh, World Cup has kicked off. We've had Australia beat Fiji 42-8. England beat Samoa 60 points to 6. We've had the might of New Zealand getting up over Lebanon 34 points to 12. Um, what did you take out of the Australian performance? Um, I think it showed there was a bit of ring rust from the guys who hadn't played since, you know, the first couple, maybe even before the NRL finals. And, and Melman Ingram's made a point all along of saying he's going to rotate guys, get the match fit. So I think for the first 20 minutes, Fiji were really gallant. And they'd kind of had a um, bit of an interrupted preparation. Um, their coach is in hospital. But for that 20 minutes or so, they were great. And then Australia just found their groove. I think, I think they'll get better as the tournament, tournament goes on. Um, and, you know, they, they've got a game against Scotland who got thumped by Italy this week. So that should be um, where guys like Nathan Cleary and um, Isaiah Yeo will get their first test caps and, and then go from there. And God knows what Meninga's going to do in regards of who he picks as his halfback, whether it's Cleary or Cherry Evans. That's the great mystery. Mm-hmm. England, Samoa, Samoa, for me, it's always a fitness issue with them. It's not so much about a talent, it's more about application. Um, Samoa are an interesting one. So obviously as an Englishman, I wanted England to win. But even watching that game, I thought, oh God, this is going to be a disaster for the World Cup if the hosts lose in the opening game. But apart from about 10 minutes, and, and you've got to remember, Smurd only tried came by virtue of an intercept. So if we, if we chalk that off, they lost 60-0. And it's not like in years gone by where those guys maybe, you know, you could say that there were guys drawn from the lower grades in Australia, New Zealand, and England. But this is a team with eight guys who played in the NRL mm-hmm. final and loads more who played state of origin. So you get all those guys together and you think, okay, they should be able to hold their own. But they just... They lack direction. They lack discipline. Even guys like Brian Toad, you know, one of the best players in the NRL this year, really didn't fire a shot. And I, I think maybe you look deeper into it and say there's obviously been some issues around the coach, Matt Parrish, but this is the best Simone side yeah. I can ever remember. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they're probably going to get to the quarterfinals, but in, in what shape? And, and probably with unconvincing wins over, over the French and Greece. Mm-hmm. Okay, being a neutral observer, New Zealand up against Lebanon. I mean, yeah, it's, it's. I guess it's hard to sort of pick these sides apart because, as we all know, it's the first time these teams have played. What's well, the first game for them? It's the first serious game where they've, they've sort of had to come together. But what did you make of New Zealand? 
Uh, again, they were kind of pretty scrappy, which you, which I guess you'd expect with guys coming back in. Uh, Jerome Hughes are late scratching. Um, I'm told that he's only going to be out for, for this game, same with Moses the offer. They both probably could have played. Um, but I think Michael Maguire is playing playing the long game. I think there was you know, a bit of scrappiness to start with. And, and, and credit for Lebanon, they were really spirited. But those, those couple of tries, I think it was Manu's brilliant solo effort and the Dylan Brown one after just after half-time when Lebanon had made it a six-point game, really um, pulled New Zealand away. And then the Dewey send-off just kind of compounded things for the Lebanese. But um, from Madge Maguire, I'm giving that a, a six out of ten. I think there's definitely room room for improvement. And um, as time progresses, I, I, I guess you don't really know what you're going to look like until you've played um, probably Ireland, are the, the, the closest challenges to New Zealand in that group. So... They've got a really good win over over Jamaica yesterday as well. And I think with a guy like Luke Keary, um, they're going to pose New Zealand some problems in that final group game. Mm, yeah, now the big surprise package in the last three or four years in International Rugby League has Tonga uh, clearly beat New Zealand at the last World Cup. They've had a victory over Australia here in Auckland at Eden Park. Um, they've got a lot closer to the Kiwis. On paper, an outstanding side. The big question, and a similar one that I put with the Samoan side, it's how fit they are. Um, how much application's gone on and whether or not there is a little bit of a hangover from the NRL or for the Super League in the UK. But how much anticipation around Tonga? How much of an unknown quantity are they? I think, I mean, you've got to remember they're the third best-ranked side in the world. New Zealand top, England... uh, Sorry, I think Tonga might even be second, but Australia definitely fourth, New Zealand are one. Tonga, I think... I think they've got a coach who's really bought into what the culture is about for the players. Like Christian Wolf has won three back-to-back titles with St. Helens in the Super League. He's close with all those players. He speaks to Jason Tamalolo um, and the other and guys like Daniel Tupo, you know, at least once a month. So there's a good rapport there. There's a good bond. And I think he understands when to go hard on them and when to take it easy. And I think that's why they've got the results they have. They're probably... The only kind of concern I have over over Tonga going deep into this tournament, I think they should win their group. We're starting with the um, the game against Papua New Guinea uh, tomorrow night, uh, UK time. That'll be Wednesday morning, your time. I think the only real concern I've got is at Haas. Um, Tuvalu here has been playing really well in Super League, but there isn't a natural number seven, you know, to control the game, kick to the corner, do do the little things right. Um, that would be my only kind of question mark over how deep Tonga can go, but they should at least get to the quarterfinals. How much interest in the Rugby League World Cup in the UK at the moment? I mean, everybody's clearly looking forward to the FIFA Football World Cup. The women's football team in the UK in England's done incredibly well as well. So how much interest around this? I think the, the big, I think England winning is a massive boost because now people will get excited about watching England. And then, you know, they'll buy tickets for the England game. And then they'll say, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll go, go to another one the next day because I might see another, another upset. I think the World Cup organisers have been really kind of banging the drum saying, we're not going to drop the prices, we're not going to, um, you know, we, we, this, is a, this is kind of a blue ribbon event and we want you to pay top dollar for it. I guess the issue in the, in the UK at the moment is there's a cost of living crisis, so the crowds aren't great. I think there was only about 5,000 yesterday for the just lost George there. We got you there, George. All right, we'll just take a break here on SENZ. 
Right, it is eight and a half minutes away from nine o'clock. I was just watching some highlights here of the Black Ferns against Wales. I've got to say, what an incredibly poor crowd that was in at Waitakere Stadium. Um, you know, we apparently had a sellout at Eden Park and the women's game's on par with the men's now, but that's clearly not the case. Let's hope that the crowds do pick up as we start to get into the knockout stages of the tournament. Plenty of sport to look forward to in the month of November, which can often be quite. T20 Cricket World Cup on. Um, do we, Ben, if we win the T20 Cricket World Cup, do we jump up and down about that? Or is that, <coughs> I mean, it's it's a little bit of a, I don't know, it's a bit of a game of chance, isn't it? T20 Cricket, it's, it's the shorter you take anything and to shorten it up, the more chance. I mean, take darts from 501 and make it to 101 and two darts per th- chucker and not chucker thrower, I should say. Um, Dartist. Dartist, then, um, you know. It becomes a little bit of a lottery, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, not a huge fan of the format, but uh, as I touched on earlier, you know, I guess good to see Scotland getting a good one over West Indies to yeah. kind of start off the tournament. It just brings that bit of a, a talking point to it. I think and, the Black Cavs lost their warm-up match, though. Yeah, so. and Namibia um, got up over Sri Lanka, and then the Black Caps got well and truly pumped by South Africa, and they just need to start playing positively. They're just so damn conservative and so damn boring. Hopefully uh, things kick off. They haven't had a great run. They've got Australia first up. They need to beat Aussie. That would just be a great way to start the tournament, get people in behind them. Um, what else have we got on? We've still got we've got another game in the netball coming up. I think we've got There's a... two games on the horizon. Because they got two are you talking about the Constellation Cup. Yeah, they played Todonga last night. Yeah, so all right. they've got two more games that of course the Ferns just need to win one more or lose by very, very close margins and they'll keep the cup. Yeah, interesting to see Jamie Lee Price playing for Australia. Man, I'm a grammar girl over here with Steve oh, Price. Course. Went all the way through mags. Thought about playing seriously for the Silver Ferns. You should have, should have seen the uh, the Defence Ferns when you mentioned mags. You should have seen the eye rolls that came with it. I know, I know, I know. But not everybody gets it, you know. You, you've got a it's only life experience that will teach you all about the kingdom. Have you, have you got like a mags logo tattooed on your heart? No, 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 no. My dad went through the school and he was on the board and he died when I was 22 and he was sort of, I was overseas once I left school, and so that's my tribute. I get involved in the school. And I've also just slowly built it into my radio repertoire. So Portia Woodman, and I see another Mags boy on the cover of the latest rugby news, and Caleb Clark. So, yeah, now I've got a pretty good rundown on who's been and who hasn't. I think you'll find if you go home and you've got a Fisher and Pike or fridge, I think you'll find Sir Wolf Fisher went through the school in the 1920s. Yeah, just thought I'd throw it out there, Ben. I don't oh. think we've had any dartists. From Mount Alva Grammar. I don't know if anybody's come through that's been any good at darts. Had that guy Malcolm Templey, who was a good table tennis player back in his day. Had a, yeah, most sports you covered off at some point. Oh, most schools have probably got the same history. You've just got to go looking for it, you know. Yeah, I can't really think of anyone from my school that, that went on to play for the All Blacks off the top of my head. Uh, I know Sean Johnson went there. That's Irewood, did you say? Irewood College, yeah. Didn't, um, what's her name? Um few Olympians. Yeah, didn't, didn't, what's her name, that won the gold medal in the K2 500 with Lisa Carrington? Probably. Go through. I didn't see it in the oh, local she paper. Was, yeah, definitely out of Red Beach. Oh, she might have gone through Takapuna Grammar, actually, in hindsight. My dad uh, went there for a brief period. Takapuna? Yeah, very brief. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad at school. I think he was there when uh, Murray Deaker was. Oh, yeah, it was headmaster. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was in the late, yeah, mid, mid-80s. Probably, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. All right, Ben, I think that's us, isn't it? 
Sounds good to me. Yeah. I hope I don't get those bloody Northwestern Motorway damn roadworks and a million go this way, go that way. We'll put you on the detour. Well, last week, as soon as you... I know, there was one right out here, wasn't there? was one... I thought about it. I was going to text you and go, Ben, go the other way. So did I. Morons. You shut off because I got caught in it. I reckon if we design a new flag, you've got to have the orange cone in there somewhere for this country. <laughs> it's more symbolic of anything at the moment. Suppose they don't have the orange cone on, on the all-black jersey. Anyway, that is our special thanks to Ben Francis. Do take care if you're travelling around the country. It's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure. 